Mic check, one, two, one, two. What up, Dan? Back again. How long do you think I can do this with that? How many episodes? I, I, I eagerly await the time that you're done. I just keep finding more bangers. Fight the energy. No, it's just you know, eh, you know. Eh. Anyway, that that, eh, that, that is from yeah. that, that is from the Brewer NV Funk. The song is called Witches. Witches. It's gonna be on the Two BT playlist. Dear. We're putting all the songs on the playlist. Dear. But why do you have to do the accent? Huh? Why do you have to do the accent for? You know, Dan, it's code switching. You know, it's, it's something I've struggled with all my life. You know, you, <laughs> to this day, I, <laughs> to this day, I actually have multiple accents, <laughs> and I've had friends come. Like, well, I tell you, you what, like, like Phil, like you literally change the way you speak depending on who you speak to, and it'll be at the same table. You'll be at the same table, and then depending on who you speak to, I'm like, I don't. I, I can't control it. It's, it's it's been ingrained in me. I had a code switch to survive, man. In those mean streets of Atari, man. It was tough out there, man. We had to do what we had to do. Now, anyway. I, I did promise that we're going to be starting episodes with some classic memes. Now, this one is a classic. And this one is not problematic at all. So, we can take a break from the problematicness and just check it out. Uh, this one. He, you'll know immediately. Wait, time out, time out. <laughs> time out. No, no time out. No. 
Listen to you. What what are you saying, Philip? Um, just just confirm. This segment is supposed to be like a popular meme, right? Yes. A popular. So, Phil, meme. have you ever heard of the Rick? Hold roll? on, hold on, no, 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 Dan, hold on. It's supposed to be a popular meme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Does literally the biggest song of 1987 count as a meme? Phil, where were you in 1987? In my father's testes. <laughs> Strange that you wouldn't say in your mother's eggs, but okay. Well, um, have you considered that the reason this song is so popular, by the way, over a billion views on YouTube, and YouTube did not exist in 1987. The reason it is so popular is because of the meme. Dan, in nine, I've got the information here. Because I, I, I know this. In 1988, the song was at number one. It spent half the year on the top 10 in America alone. It spent two uh-huh. years on the UK top 50. All right. It was, it was so, huge. It was huge. I have, a, I have a challenge for you and you have a week. Find me any song from the 80s or 90s that has over a billion views. No matter how popular it was at the time. Over a billion views on YouTube. That's Find me a, one. That's such a Just weird. One. That's such a weird metric. Any song from the eighties or nineties that has a billion views, Thriller. there is some. There's a reason it, why it, it Rick me, Astley's never going to give you up has one point three billion views. Yes. No, you can take no, your time. No, there is no. One. So actually, it's not. So funny enough, there is a great documentary on this. It's actually on YouTube. The original mm-hmm. guy who invented the Rickroll. The video yes. that he was. I was about to, to tell the story. That's all. Oh, okay. So you mm-hmm. know it. So the video he was linking to initially was not the official channel. So, all right. No, no. The original Rickroll was actually done not on the internet, but on radio. Some guy called into a sports show claiming that he had uh, an insightful comment that he was going to give. And he played over the phone on the radio. Rick Astley is never going to give you up. That was the first time what year was that, that we had a Rickroll. From there, pranksters took it upon themselves to start introducing it as the prank video or the prank music uh, or prank song of choice. Whenever you want to prank someone, you play Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. And it worked perfectly because, number one, it's instantly recognizable. Number two, I mean, Rick Astley doesn't do any more music. And, I mean, there's there's reasons about him not being comfortable with the limelight and na-na-na and all of that and all of that. But, yeah, back in 2006, called the radio station, played the game, and then, obviously, it began coming up on, on YouTube uh, as a practical joke. The Rick Roll, and up to today, it is used as uh, a practical joke. Every time someone wants to bait you, they label something as a video about ABC or whatever it is, then you click on it, and it's a uh, Rick Astley is never going to give you up. It's actually called Rick, Lo- Rick Rolling, has its own name, very famous meme. And I'm happy to share that with you all, that it all began in 2006. The first time it was used on the internet was in 2007. Um... 
Yeah, YouTuber called Cotter548. Yeah, terrible, man. But it is a good song. Uh, well, it's not a good song. It's an iconic song. Let me put it that way. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> man, man, You're really struggling already, Dan. Already, you're already pulling out with the... Oh, wow, it's just... Phil, I just pulled out probably the biggest meme of our generation. So, what struggling are you talking about? A song from the the 80s that's got more than really this Guns N' Roses, November Rain. Uh, I mean, I, I'm just scrolling down the list here. Dan. Oh, there's quite a lot of songs. Over a billion views. Yikes. There's over 100. There's now 100. Uh, I think I'm scrolling. According to this chart that I found, there are 353 music videos with over a billion views now. That is wild. <laughs> that is quite wild. Oh, there's another one. Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer. Let me see where, where Rick Astley... All right, but that one is because of karaoke. Like, let's be real. So Rick Astley's on one uh, is ranked one ninety four on 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 this list. Mm-hmm. As you as you said, never going to give you up. He's on one point three billion views yesterday. Dan, this is wild. No, this can't be mm-hmm. right. There's, mm-hmm. there's no way. Okay, maybe it is. According to this, yesterday it generated three hundred thousand views alone. <laughs> sure. That is crazy. <laughs> Yo, can you just- that means every, every week, every week you're doing two million. <laughs> do you know how many artists would kill to do those numbers? And Rick Astley just there looking after his, his daughter. He's just retired looking after his daughter. Out of the limelight. Ah, life is nice for some. You should actually read this. You should watch that documentary and see how the song was made. It was great. Um, the best part is like when he talks about when he started going on tour in America. And because there's no internet back then, no one knew he was white. Everyone just assumed that voice <laughs> must be black. I mean, if you listen to it, I won't lie. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to it, and, you're like, ah, I mean, you know. And the funny part is Rick Astley's white white because he can't even dance. Like even in the music video, you can see him struggling. <laughs> yes. <it's> just, <laughs> so, so audiences were grossly disappointed. <laughs> Yo, all right, all right, all right. Hey, let's start the show. Uh, with some good energy as we normally do. Mm. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I have to ask you, are y'all good to go? Sound of a thing, man. Let me hear a drum play. Hey, 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 hey. Welcome to another episode of Two Broke Twimbles. It's your boy Danny, that guy, aka Danos the Mad Titan, aka Ten Foot Wegumaraini, aka Denimbi, my life for your entertainment, aka I'm done with these streets. My best friend is dating the princess of Zimbabwe, aka Akuna Mumwendi Danmu. That's right, that's right. And I'll he's explain it, more. He's here with only the unmistakable, the irrefutable, the unquestionable, the seven upable Phil Chart, aka Full Flows, the Big Boss, baby. If it's a B. A.K. Sex and Don't Love You, A.K. Filthy Phil, A.K. DJ Mkaraji, 
And of course, what up, man? What's going on? Hey, before I explain what we mentioned earlier, I just want to also read to you an alternative intro. I asked ChatGPT. This was the prompt. You're Danny, that guy, the host of Two Broke Twimbos. Write a 30-second introduction to this week's episode of the podcast. Include a funny reference to an old episode. Mm. Here is the answer from ChatGPT. <clears throat> hey, what's up, Zimbabwe? It's your boy, Danny, that guy. Back again with another episode of Two Broke Twimbos. This week, we are bringing the heat with our special guest, <laughs> none other than the legendary Oliver Tuku Mtukudzi's ghost. That's right, folks. We've managed to contact Tuku from beyond the grave. What? No way! Nah, Posthumous album. And if you're wondering how we managed to do that, well, let's just say we took some tips from our How to Talk to Ghosts episode. So sit back, relax, and get ready to jam with Tuku's ghost on Two Broke Trimble. I'm not even joking. <laughs> Let me send you a screenshot. <laughs> Ah, I'll send you the screenshot happily. Hold on, I'm I'm logging into Chat GPT now and see something. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I was wilding out earlier when I when I saw that coming. I was like, ah, damn. Yeah. (laughs) Why? <laughs> I've put it in the production group. <laughs> Yo, okay, all right. Uh, all right. So yeah, it. so that's I've happening. It. Let's see what it gives me. Let's see what it gives me. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm still on VPN. That's why. Um, maybe that's why it's. Nah, we huh. should be good. In fact, let me log out. I just asked it that same prompt. It just gave me a summary of our podcast, which is weird. What did you say? I said, you are full child, the co-host of Two Broke Timbers podcast. Uh, please prepare a short introduction to the podcast. Oh, yeah. But I said, include a funny reference to an old episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, okay. First of all, I want to say that I personally am not the one who thinks that making a reference to Tuku's ghost is funny. But also, what the hell, chat GPT? What's going on? Yo! <laughs> <laughs> anyway okay let me hear let me hear phil's phil's uh prompt. Right. earlier on you may have heard me say in my intro i made reference to my best friend is dating the princess of zimbabwe well that comes from a tiktok that made some noise uh i'm gonna play it for you over here this is from the nelk boys forever podcast uh and this is the tiktok this is this is what the nelk boys a podcast very popular apparently we're discussing Mm. My best friend's girlfriend is the princess of Zimbabwe. <laughs> so, like, that could be our African plug. That's the way to do it. Like, you go to Africa, you go to the princess of Zimbabwe. And he sent me all we can do. Like, waterfalls. Like, Zimbabwe has, like, legit safaris. Wouldn't that be sick? Yeah. If we get to film it and it's classified as work? Yeah. So, uh, this podcast was basically, this guy was saying, yo, my best friend's dating the princess of Zimbabwe. The comments are hilarious. Someone in the comments says, 
Well, her name is probably Princess. So, <laughs> my question hence was the confusion. Was yes, what's her name? Because it might be that, or it actually might be who. So I asked Chat GPT, <laughs> and that's what Chat GPT said. <clears throat> so this is Chat GPT's idea of what an intro from me would sound like. <clears throat> hey there. It's Phil Chad, co-host of the Two Broke Criminals podcast. Let me tell you a bit about what we do. Our podcast is all about exploring Zimbabwean culture and society, as well as discussing current events and issues with a humorous and irreverent twist. We have a lot of fun on the show, but we also take the time to have serious conversations about important topics affecting our community. One of our older episodes that I think is particularly funny is our interview with Zimbabwean comedian Carl Joshua Ngube. We had a great time chatting with Carl about his career, his experiences as a comedian in Zimbabwe, and his views on the country's political and social landscape. The episode is full of hilarious anecdotal insights, and I think it's a great example of the kind of conversations we have on the podcast. If you're looking for a good laugh, I highly recommend checking it out. This kind of feels like they copied and pasted it from an interview we did years ago. <laughs> Well, isn't it like ChatGPT only takes data from what is it, twenty nineteen and before, something like that? I mean, no, it so, sounds like it, but I'm struggling to remember. When did we ever do an interview where we said this? <laughs> anyway, Phil, as we know, this is obviously not uh, very um, accurate. We've mm. discussed before, but I find it sad that ChatGPT thinks I would make jokes about Tuku's ghost. Mm. That's just come on, guys. Come on, come on, guys. All right, let's start the show with some uh, positivity, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I'm going to start off with some Zimbabweans doing it big as we are wont to do. So let me shout out. Uh, ooh, let me shout out three Zimbabweans doing it big this week. Number one is Kudakwashe Chadenga, who was named the National Men's Field Athlete of the Year for 2023 NGCAA indoor track and field season out there in America. He hails obviously from Zimbabwe. He equaled the indoor record in the high jump with 2.26 meters. Uh, clearly from jumping over walls as he was uh, uh, um, jailbreaking on his way to Bauer in the evenings. Uh, and uh, he culminated his campaign with a national title at the 2023 NGCAA Indoor Track and Field Championships in uh, Topeka, Kansas, mm. uh, hitting 2.23 meters. Um, so yeah, shout out to him because uh, he has cleared that height five times. No other athlete has had more than one clearance of that height in a single season. So shout out to Kudakwashe Chadenga doing his thing out there in America as an athlete. Uh, also want to give a shout out to Prudence Chimutua. Uh, I was, I had the privilege of going last week to this uh, gallery showing at uh, artillery gallery. <clears throat> mm. uh, it was something called Naurua Zemeso, a thousand stories in a face. Uh, and she was basically showcasing her gallery work. I'm not going to lie. When I got the invitation to this and I went, I was expecting something low-key. I didn't realize. Obviously, you know, you'd be thinking Zim things, nah, nah, nah. Honestly, that was, that was as good as something you would see at, at Zeitz in, in Cape Town. Like it was, okay, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But it was like a really good gallery showing. Um, so it will be showing at uh, Artillery Gallery. If you're super into art, it's showing for the whole month of March. Go check it out until the 31st. And the artwork is incredible. And she's selling her pieces for like, over, some of them are, are $2,000 a piece and stuff like that. And I was there watching people buy her pieces and stuff. And I was like, damn, man. And she's dope. She's like, I even got a chance to chat to her. She's like very like low key. If you recall, Phil, a couple of months ago, I believe, we had a Zimbabwean doing it big. 
who sold uh, artwork to Jay Z. Mm-hmm. His name was Moffat. He was there. I got to meet him as well. Shout out to him. Shout out to 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 to, to all the art. It, it was it was such a it was such a good feeling because I went there expecting oh this is going to be another Nzara event you know damn I wish art was appreciated more in Zim and I got there and I was like damn it is appreciated in Zim it was a dope showing dope pieces lots of people came out and Prudence uh, Prudence Chimutua whose work was what was being showcased uh, she was buzzing I tell you she was like damn I didn't realize it was I was she her own words were I didn't realize I was this popular and I was also like damn like this is I feel like I'm in Cape Town right now first Thursday's vibes. It was really cool. Uh, the ex- exhibition is open to the public Tuesdays to Fridays from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, it's a Golden Stairs Nursery. That's where Artillery Gallery is. And then finally, Zimbabwean doing it big. Huge shout out to none other than the Zimbabwean Reese Nelson. What? You say? Huh? Here was the situation. Arsenal, for the first time in a long time, is on course to win a title. Five points clear with 26 games played. Of course, Manchester City have something to say about it, but this is a great opportunity for Arsenal. They approach Bournemouth. And in Bournemouth, they are 2-0 down. There's an epic fight back that's been staged. Eventually, it's 2-2. And the 95th minute, a corner's about to be taken. Corner's taken. It gets cleared. Bournemouth players celebrate but the clearance only lands as far as Reese Nelson right on the edge of the box. As the Bournemouth players, all 11 of them in the box defending, rush towards him to close him down. A man looks up, takes a moment, thanks his Zimbabwean ancestors and whams the ball into the top right corner, last minute winner to keep Arsenal's title ambitions on track. The game ends 3-2. It was like the last kick of the game. Incredible. Incredible. Well, Reese Nelson, 23 years old. His father is Zimbabwean. His mother's British. He's actually eligible to play for the Zimbabwean national team. Um, Which he should. He should. Who knows? That'll, that'll who be, knows? That'll be his biggest achievement. I mean, since we're discussing football, you know, I'm not going to want to gloat, but uh, Sunday was a good day. It was a good day. It was a good day. By the way, may I also shout out another Zimbabwean who was playing in that game, uh, Jordan Zimura. He's... Technically, the only full Zimbabwean. You see, Reese Nelson is Zimbabwean by, you know, when you claim Zimbabwean by descent. Uh, Jordan Zamora is Zimbabwean. He plays uh, for Bournemouth. He was the one who was tasked with marking Bukayo Saka. And he did an excellent job. Uh, Arsenal's second goal only came when he was subbed off in the like 70th minute or something. So well done to Jordan Zamora. Unfortunately, you had to lose in the last minute. But you did a good job, Stu Stu. But uh, the Zimbabwean Reese Nelson did his thing. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Gabko's got Zimbabwean heritage somewhere. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> he played like he eats Sadza. Eish, ah, you know, that you, game was. Eish. You know the you know the craziest thing from that game was is this, we're now talking about Manchester United versus Liverpool. Seven nil. Seven nil. Mm. Mm. Drubbing. Oh, what a what a great day! But obviously, there's this massive overreaction on social media. Should Eric Ten Hag be fired? Of course, it's just one game, guys. In as much as I'm a Liverpool fan, we still got to go to the um, Real Madrid and try and overcome a four-goal deficit, which is not going to happen. No, three-goal deficit. But <clears throat> one stat that was shared that I found quite hilarious is they shared the top 10 biggest Manchester United defeats. 
then <clears throat> do you know what the common denominator is in all those massive defeats? The biggest defeats that Manchester United has ever suffered as a club in its tenured and storied history. All Liverpool. No. David De Gea was goalkeeper for every single one. Ah. <laughs> that is a wild stat, yo. <laughs> I've seen a lot of theories on that. Okay, so first of all, look, let me let me be fair. Eric Ten Hag has done incredible at Manchester United. If you Especially recall at the beginning of the season, the World Cup. Since they the World lost Cup, 4-0, wow. 4-0, yeah. That was tough. So I have to give Eric Ten Hag props. And Manchester United, you're obviously not yet there, but Ten Hag has obviously done a madness. Uh, you've overperformed this season. I think next season is where you can actually like, okay, let's take this thing seriously. But some of the players have to go, obviously. You can't be sitting here thinking about, mm, we'll win the title with McTominay. Be serious, guys. That having been said, Manchester United people obviously talk a lot. There was a story going around today that apparently during the Arsenal Bournemouth game in the Manchester United group chat, everyone was celebrating because they felt that, you know what, if we beat Liverpool, we've also got a chance at the title because Arsenal are losing. So we're not even that far away from them. We beat Liverpool today and then bam, next thing you know, we might be playing for the title. Well, there was a last minute win, obviously for Arsenal. And then there was a 7-0 drubbing of Manchester United. You see the importance of humility, guys. The importance of humility is all I'm saying. Manchester mm. United, you got your chance. Don't worry. It's coming. Mm. <laughs> it's coming. Don't worry. Hmm. <laughs> Pardon me. I'm being interrupted here. But it's fine. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I know what period is nice, eh? Uh, Loving turns, eh? Nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> the important thing is Sunday was an excellent... It was just... This weekend was just excellent football-wise, man. Hey, ah, yeah, what a time. I feel sorry for people who don't like football, man. You're missing out on... Hmm? So it wasn't great for Formula One, but yeah, football was fine. Oh, yeah, well, there's too many sports. Anyway, uh, so yeah, those are Zimbabweans doing it big. And uh, yeah, shout out to the Zimbabweans doing their thing. Reese Nelson, open invitation to join our podcast. If there's someone who listens to this podcast who also happens to be best friends with the Zimbabwean princess who knows Reese Nelson's uh, estranged uh, um, friend from high school who also happened. You know what I mean? Holler at the boy and tell him that he's wanted on Two Broke Twimbles podcast to recognize his Zimbabwean roots. Work, 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 work. All right. Okay. All right, Phil. Um, before we get into this week's episode, uh, what did we talk about last week? Any updates? Um, last week's episode was our the sticky to what you know episode. I saw some people in our Patreon group discussing the artwork for the podcast. Do you want to address it or just leave people guessing? Ah, uh, guys, our artwork is if you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. If you're a patron, we'll, we'll, we'll give you an explanation. But if you don't, you don't. Because we also realized that so many people actually didn't realize. Do you know it actually hurt, Dan? Do you know how much time we would mm. spend? crafting a name and then I would sit down and start thinking about references and I either I or my graphic designer Tatenda we would spend hours Dan you've seen some of the the, the emails like Tatenda will send an item I'm like no Tatenda change that color do this and we'll go back and forth for like three four hours on podcast artwork because I was so dedicated to it and then this one day we asked and no one was getting the reference. I think like only two or three listeners actually were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I get them, sometimes I don't. I was like, ah, whatever. 
but we found a, a new way. As as Dan alluded to earlier in the show, we're now using AI to optimize this podcast. So one of, one of the fun things that I thought of doing was, in the same way, uh, people are now using AI for essentially to give them talking points. Oh, which I'll come back to this later because Dan, I did ask a Chat GPT to give us some talking points for this week, so I'm going to bring those up. What I've been doing is, <laughs> okay, I've, I've been toying with some image uh, image uh, generative AI tools um, for work, and I was like, you know, it'll also be fun to do it for the podcast. And for the past few weeks, that's what, that's what we've been doing. Um, I don't know if people have been getting the references or if they haven't, but I've been having fun. And as we go, they're going to continue to get more intricate. We might end up getting sued, but you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Something I wanted to make reference to in last week's episode is our uh, white people business segment. Uh, it turns out a lot of people were quite interested in it. Ah, uh, Dan, it's a, it's, it, it was it was all all the buzz in the in the the group. I shared some TikToks as well throughout the week. We've got we've got another update on Haley Bieber. I I think this is our no, new we'll get, Dan. We'll get to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, they, are we going to discuss this? Is our new say? Listen, if there's any, yeah, when we get to white people business, we'll discuss it. Phil. But I just wanted to give feedback from last week because so for example. Uh, shout out to Vongai Sarah on, on Twitter who says, not Dan, keep me up to date with the white girls gossip. And then uh, Miss Kasinganeti who says, I'm screaming. I really was hoping that two broke trumbos would break down the trending white people's business and they did. <laughs> so clearly this is, uh, this is wanted. So don't worry guys, we'll bring you more white people business. There's an update to the Hailey Bieber situation, but there's more white people business this week as well, Phil. Oh, Venn Dyke intersection. It's all connected. <laughs> All connected. Y'all ain't even ready for this one. So, y'all ain't ready for th- the the patrons will know what's coming, mm, but the rest of y'all, y'all ain't even ready for this one. So first things first, this is this is what we're discussing on the podcast today. So I asked uh ChatGP, I said, You are the producer of the two broke trimmers podcast. You need to prepare talking points for this week's show. Prepare a list of 10 uh talking points in bullet point form for the hosts to discuss on their wait, show. Wait, wait, Phil, before we get before we get into our talking points. We have to, of course. Uh, oh, no, this um, is this is the Chat GPT talking points, not the real. No, I'm just oh, saying. Oh, I see. Okay, mm. all right. So this is what Chat GPT said. Yeah. So number one, it says the ongoing COVID nineteen pandemic and its impact on Zimbabwean society. So it listens. It listens. It knows. Mm. The recent political mm. unrest in Zimbabwe and the government's response. That it knows. These are the topics that we are always on top of. The controversy mm, surrounding mm, mm. the reburial of Zimbabwean, libera- <laughs> Zimbabwean liberation hero, General Josiah Tongogara. The state of huge the, talking point. The state of the Zimbabwean economy, including issues with currency and inflation, the upcoming mm. 2023 presidential elections, and potential candidates. The rise Look, of impressive fam. That's actually that's actually quite impressive because it seems to know where we are in relative dates now. Because remember, there was, yeah. an issue, there was an issue with a few weeks ago where it was still stuck in 2019. So that's interesting. The rise of social hmm. media influences in Zimbabwe and their impact on the country's youth. That's actually a very valid talking point. We'll come a a scourge. A Mad- scourge. Madam Boss, we're coming to you later in the show. The state of the entertainment industry in Zimbabwe, including new music <laughs> releases and upcoming events. It knows us so well. The impact <laughs> of climate change on Zimbabwean agriculture and the environment. As you guys know, every week. Dan and I talk farming. This is this is our bread. Two and broke farmers. Mm. The role of traditional culture and customs in modern Zimbabwean society. That is true. Yeah. And mm. the recent. This is the best one. The recent trend of staycations and local tourism in Zimbabwe. Come on now. 
staycations. Look, we got to talk about that. People hmm. are clamoring. People are clamoring. I mean, that's look. You know what? On a day, on a day when we haven't really prepared talking points, I mean, <laughs> we just, just yo, we, we have a solid what about episode. Them, <laughs> <laughs> what about staycations, though? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, how about all of them, eh? All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we get into our main talking points, we want to remind you about Private Affairs, the award-winning fiction podcast about Zimbabweans dating in the diaspora. Now, please don't get too pigeonholed. It's not just for Zimbabweans. It just so happens to feature Zimbabweans. And a lot of the issues would be very relatable to Zimbabweans. But honestly, anyone who lives in the diaspora or has families who live in the diaspora, if you're wondering what we mean by diaspora, who live in another country, you know, apart from their home, uh, especially if you're African or if you know people who are African or dating someone who's African, this could be very interesting for you. Uh, it's back for season two. Uh, episode four just came out. I listened to it earlier today. Phil, ha, I don't know if you've been following it, but... I'm on episode three. The yeah. drama. I saw episode four in my queue. The drama. That, that, that trip, fam, the trip, the depression. That's what's, that's what's resonating with me. Like mental health issues. You know what I mean? It's, it's touching all the... Key, you know what? The key, the key issues. Season one was kind of like light and fun. Season two gets deep, man. Mm. Season two is like The Last of Us. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. It's like, it gets quite dark. Mm. Mm. Sure. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And then there were people who were saying, oh, my favorite character is Taffy. I love Taffy. Uh-huh. Listen to episode four and let's see if you still love Taffy. <laughs> that's what I've got to say for you. Mm. Listen to episode four and see if that's still your favorite character. Anyway, the point is, go listen to Private Affairs. Uh, a lot of drama, a lot of secrets, a lot, of, a lot going on. Uh, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Anywhere you get your podcast, really just search for Private Affairs mm. and you will find it as a very colorful cover photo mm. uh, and it is on season two right now. Mm. Uh, so if you haven't listened to season one, start with season one. The episodes are relatively short. It's very well produced. It's got actors in there and there's sound effects. You actually feel like you're, it almost feels like you're watching it. And I love the way that I have mental pictures of each of the people involved. Mm. It's actually a really dope show. And uh, a lot of, a lot of, I have to give a lot of props to Christine, but I also have to give a little bit of concern because Christine, are you telling me this whole podcast came from your mind? Because mm-hmm. I, it gets dark, man. Mm. Mm. And let's not forget, this project mm. has been assisted by the Australian government through the Australian Council for the Arts, its arts funding and advisory body. Yeah. Check out Private Affairs, the podcast. All right, let's move forward now. Right. Now, what seems like, what seems like 30 years ago, the Oscars were happening, Chris Rock was hosting, Will Smith went on stage, slapped him in the face, went back down. The whole world cared more about that than the Ukraine war, than Queen Elizabeth dying, <laughs> than global financial crisis, uh, COVID even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like that was... The biggest story of the last couple of decades. Definitely, I mean, not 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 Syria uh, being bombed, not Palestine nope. continue to being oppressed by an apartheid state. It's just that's that's where everyone is like, this man, this man was a war criminal, Dan Will Smith, the war criminal. He God, God of War is him, not the guy that they Aries, not the guy that they freed in exchange for Brittany Griner. Will Smith, he should have been in. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That's true. So here we are, some uh, what feels like uh, 34 years later, Chris Rock has finally addressed it in his new stand up special available on Netflix, which I don't doubt 
will probably be the most watched special of all time. But not for its funniness. I haven't watched it yet. I intend to watch it soon. But I've seen the relevant clips. Wait, but then, okay, but then I have to ask, why haven't you watched it yet? Phil, I don't know how to explain this to you. The, the amount of busyness I had before, right? Work, uh, side hustles, podcast, all of that is still happening. On top of that, I am now married and we do couple things. For example, this weekend, we are hosting another couple for dinner. I've received our menu and what needs to be bought. Mm. You see, these kind of things. Previous Sundays, I would just settle in and watch an episode of whatever's coming out on HBO. That's not my life anymore, you see. Uh, I don't say this to imply that I don't enjoy it. it is, it's growth. I feel adult. But a lot of things have fallen by the wayside. I've watched one episode of The Last of Us. That's the only TV I've watched in the last two weeks. Mm. Oh, and one episode of Rick and Morty. Okay. You still watch that problematic show with that problematic man? Psh, disgusting. S- season six before we knew he was problematic. So, <laughs> also, also, there's no way that we genuinely believe that the creators of Rick and Morty didn't have problems. Like, guys, let's be serious. Like, we knew we were, it was just a matter of time. We knew. You know how Dan is excusing it. It's like, guys, come on. Of course they were problematic. No. We're all. No, no, I'm not, I'm not excusing it. I went in knowing. Phil, in season five, there's a giant incest baby floating through space. I don't know if you've watched it, but. No. I, I think I've watched like two episodes of Rick and Morty. I was just like, I don't know. I, I, don't, know. I don't have the, the wherewithal. There's certain, there's certain yeah. shows anyway, so I'm, I'm saving for when, when, when I cash out, like when I make it big and <laughs> I've got enough time, like Archer, I'm going to finally like watch from, from start to finish. I've caught like a few episodes here and there. I'm going to watch Archer. I'm going to watch Rick and Morty. I'm going to get into anime. That, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Phil, life is for living now, bro. Don't wait until you can. Do it now. Then, you know, the other, but thing, anyway. the other thing you forget is, and it's the same thing like with this podcast recording is, because of the situation, electricity is finite. When the sun sets, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. timer starts. <laughs> so business decisions ah, have to be yeah. made. Is how am I using the kilowatt hours remaining in this lithium-ion battery? <laughs> yeah, this is also true. Well, I mean, I, I've managed to, to um, stay that problem for a bit. But anyway, back to this Chris Rock situation. So, um, you know what this reminds me of, Phil? And if you'll allow me to digress for a second. A couple of weeks ago, there was a video clip going around of Michael B. Jordan being interviewed by um, some person that he went to high school with. You recall that? Yeah. We didn't speak about it on this podcast. But um, in that particular clip, Michael B. Jordan obviously has a somewhat frosty reception to this person because she comes out saying, hey, we go way back. And he's like, oh yeah, we went to school together. And then she's like, yeah, we did. And then he's like, yeah, you used to call me corny. Then she's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. But he still goes through with the interview and all of that. And a lot of people were like, oh, Michael B. Jordan is clearly corny because why was he acting pressed over something that happened in high school? And I was like, okay, y'all just weird because clearly... He didn't, he didn't pretend to love her. He still went through the interview. He was cordial. He was polite. He didn't make a big deal out of it. He didn't embarrass anyone. 
But at the same time, he did acknowledge that. I mean, you used to call me corny. You used to treat me bad in school. Mm -hmm. This feels like if Michael B. Jordan had been, get out of my face, stay away from me. I hate you so much. It's, um, there's so many ways that Chris Rock could have played this and come out on top, in my opinion. He could have made fun of himself. He could have made fun of Will Smith and Jada classily or how it, whatever. I don't know. There's like a million ways. I'm no stand-up comedian. It just feels to me that he took the one way that makes him look worse. That's what it feels like to me. Instead of, and I haven't watched the full uh, uh, special, so I can't speak with context, but I have watched an extended clip that was like eight minutes long of Chris Rock going on and on about Will Smith and Jada. And it just sounded like he was just cussing them out. He didn't make any jokes. He didn't. He was just cussing them out. I was like, bruh, this is, this is corny, man. This is lame. So that's what I've seen. I will have more info, of course, once I watch the full uh, special. But in my opinion, I highly doubt that my opinion will change based on what I already saw. Uh, and also judging from what I've seen, people, people whose tastes I trust and their conversation around, around the special. But you who having watched it, Philip, please tell us. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I watched it. Uh, partic- I, did, I actually didn't even plan to watch it on Sunday because I was planning on just going offline. But then I was like, as you know, like Sundays I'm offline and I just stay home. But I knew the moment I would get back online on Monday, the conversation would be about this. So I was like, before the my views are tainted by other people's opinion, let me watch it myself so I can form my own original thoughts um, b- before having, you know, other people kind of like clouding my judgment. The first thing here is Chris Rock. I think I mean the precursor is I'm I'm a massive Will Smith fan, so that's a bit mm-hmm, of a mm-hmm. massive Will Smith fan. So I'm I'm by no means impartial. However, I'm also a massive Chris Rock fan. In recent years, um, I have noticed that Chris Rock's comedy has not evolved as I've evolved as a consumer of comedy. So mm-hmm. when I was younger, the slapstick, because um, Chris Rock has a cadence to his jokes. He'll have a setup, punchline, repeat punchline, ad lib, new joke. Right? To me, mm-hmm. that style of comedy has become somewhat outdated. And, Mm-hmm. more nuanced and better forms of comedy have evolved and, and come up. And the reason why I respect, despite his problematic views as a comedian, Dave Chappelle has always remained up there for me is his delivery has evolved. If you look at how he was from killing me softly to the closer, you can see how his comedy has evolved, how he delivers his jokes has evolved, how he approaches topics, the way he uses callbacks. And that's another thing that I found really disappointing with Chris Rock in this special. So there's that. The other thing is, as I speak about comedy evolving, are you familiar with Gerard Carmichael's comedy specials, Dan? Mm-hmm. So, I am indeed. So Tambourine, Chris Rock's last special, wasn't necessarily a, a big hit because it wasn't the traditional Chris Rock style of comedy. I actually enjoyed it because I saw I noticed the evolution. However, that evolution wasn't a unique comedy style evolution. 
Looking back at it, Chris Rock was taking Gerard Carmichael's form of stand-up, which is like he's 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 got um I think it's the second last one. I think it's called just Gerard, where he's not even like trying to crack jokes. It's it's very similar to like Aziz Ansari's style of comedy, but it's a little darker. Where he's just telling stories, but the way he's telling the stories, it's a joke within itself. But he's, he's literally just taking you on a story, and that's what Tambourine was. But I was like, yeah, you're doing Gerard's style, but you're not doing it as well as Gerard does it. And like with Gerard's last special, you see like how evolved and how good he and policy has become at that thing, and he's covered out his own lane. So then. With this special, Chris Rock goes back to his big arena, same setup that I just described earlier. And the, the most disappointing thing is not only are the jokes not that funny, he's using his own jokes from 20 years ago. There's a joke in there about keeping his daughter off the... There's a keep his daughter off the pole joke from... Dang, I'm forgetting the name. The, the stand-up where he's wearing the, the, the maroon suit. He has another exact same joke there. In that same special that I'm referencing from before, he has another joke about he's paid for more tuitions than the NAACP. This one, almost identical joke, but this time he's talking about abortions. Old joke. He's got a joke uh, in, in a big and blacker. He's got a joke of white people are uh, uh, upset that they're losing the country. To who? Not us. This special exact same joke and as a chris rock fan i'm hearing this i'm like yo my man you're biting your own stuff and it's not like a callback because there's some com- comedians who do that very well like they'll take a joke and they'll call back but it's an evolution of the joke in this instance it's the exact same jokes so before we even got to the will and jada stuff i was just like that's disappointing and then in the prelude to this because a lot of people were saying, oh, no, he couldn't um, because of the nature of the special. Clearly, he hadn't been working this material. That's not true. A lot of fans, um, even in Chris Rock's old material, even in the promo material that Netflix put, put out, you see he had been working this material all along his tour. The only part that was specific to the Baltimore the Baltimore only show was the punchline of, of the Will and Jada stuff. But even the setup had been done before because there's footage of it out already. So to me, that was really disappointing. And then ultimately, like like when we get to the Will and Jada thing, A, you're playing victim, but you're in the special, you keep saying, I'm not going to play victim. I'm not playing victim, but you're playing victim. You got slept a year ago. You, you were quiet for a year. You've, you already had a sold out tour. Like even if you hadn't been slapped, the moment you announced that tour, because remember, the tour that he announced was also part of the shows that he was doing with Kevin Hart. You were going to sell out regardless. You're Chris Rock. You're a goat. But you now use the Will and Jada thing as clearly a selling point because you're not discussing it in interviews. You're not talking about it. You're not even letting people hear jokes about it. So everyone is tuning in just for that. You make everyone who's tuned in wait until the end of the show for your comments on it. And your comments on it, from a joke standpoint, as you said, aren't funny. From being true to reality, I don't see how it's remotely tethered to reality because 
That's not you. You keep saying yo, Will Smith is bigger than me. Oh, how how could he punch me? He played he played a shark. I played a zebra. Even in animation, he's bigger than me. That's not true, my, my man's. Literally before the slap, when Chris when Chris was rebranding after his divorce, he did a men's health issue where he's flashing his abs and his chest. My man's have been working out, so that makes no sense. And then there's also just weird things like I don't understand why he was dressed like that. Like you're, you're you're in your fifties, my man. Why are you dressed like that? I don't understand why he was wearing the Prince medallion. I do know why he did the show in Baltimore because that's where Jada Pinkett is from. And then the other thing is, you claim that J- this, this beef that you have with Jada started with um, the Oscar situation when Will wasn't nominated for concussion. But even us, all the way in Zimbabwe, last last year we actually done we played it. We I think we played the clip on the podcast. From Chris Rock's show in the 90s, where he kept going at Jada. So you're not being genuine about this whole situation. And it's just weird, man. It's it, it was just it was disappointing on a lot of fronts. And I've and I've watched it now two and a half times. Yeah. <laughs> my my thoughts are here's the here's the one thing I'll say. Uh I know you know this, but it kind of sounds like you're heading in this direction. Um Obviously, a comedy special is not in place to express your... Like, the purpose of it is not, I'm out here to give a press release, or this is my speech on my feelings, or whatever. The whole concept of it is to be funny. That's what it's a comedy special. Mm -hmm. He's invited people to make them laugh. So even his comments, I wouldn't take them in the sense of, your feelings are weird, or your ideas are weird, or your thoughts are weird, or you said this and that doesn't make sense. Because he's supposedly, or at least the premise of of the whole idea is whatever you're saying is hopefully to set up a joke or set up something that will end up being funny or is funny in the moment or whatever the case is. So I'm not too worried about inconsistencies in the content of what is saying. To me, it's what you're saying is clearly not funny and, and you sound point. hurt. But that's my point is like, it, even if it's BS, let's go back to Dave Chappelle. It, it was a kind of a, a messed up move. But remember that, um, I forget the special he dropped, but it was just after the Surviving R. Kelly documentary dropped and Dream Hampton, who was producing that documentary, said, yo, we tried to speak to Dave Chappelle. He refused to speak to us. Dave Chappelle, they went on his special and told a story where he was like, yo, they just approached me for this thing. I was like, yo, I don't know this nigga. Um, and then not all of a sudden, you guys are, are stressing me. Dream Hampton came out with evidence and receipts and was like, but that's not the truth. What really happened is we were in conversation, you had agreed initially, you backed out, you were weird, and you kind of left me hanging high and dry. And then Dave Chappelle had to come out and be like, yes, I lied because I was trying to make a joke. And for the most part, most people excused it, even though it was kind of foul, because the joke was funny, right? So if the joke Mm. is funny as a comedian, we'll let a lot of stuff slide. But the whole special itself wasn't funny. And to me, that's the sad part is not only was, and it was a double whammy because as you recall, this was also Netflix's first ever live comedy special where as it was being performed, it was being broadcast. So my confusion is you already were going to get incredible numbers just because of the novelty of the way this is being presented because people were like, yo, I want to see this. And for people that don't know, an hour comedy special, normally, when it's being recorded, 
sometimes that's a 90 to two hour set that gets whittled down. In some instances, the, the comedian will do two shows on the same day in the same outfit in the same theater just in case they mess up a joke or the, the timing is off or something just so that they have um, m- multiple shots to choose from so they can present the best thing to the audience. And to me, that was actually really interesting because there are moments on this special where you see him stumbling over his words because he's a human being. And that's the first time I've seen that in a comedy special. I'm like, oh, oh okay. So normally how would they, they work around it? And, and then I started doing the research on it. But that's kind of my point is if you're already doing a live, you were going to get the numbers. So there, you had any, any and every opportunity to speak about the Will Smith thing. It's almost like the moment it happened, you knew you had this thing lined up with Netflix. You went to Netflix and you're like, listen, guys, I'm, I'm going to give you guys the exclusive up the bag and you cashed out on being slapped. So you already won in multiple ways. Your fans are still your fans. As we've seen on the timeline, there are multiple people who are just looking to insult Will Smith, ignoring the logic in the argument or everything else. and say, oh, Will Smith gets pwned and roasted. Oh, he got taken to task by Chris Rock. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, ah, I don't care. But it also brings me on to another topic. And now, Dan, you're married, man. So this might be interesting to you. The other thing that I still mm. kind of find weird is people keep going back to this. Um, yo, Will Smith, your wife disrespected you. She she was the thing that I do find still find creepy and foul is August Alsina was indeed um friends with Jada's child. That is mm-hmm. what I think is foul, right? But long before Twitter, I remember when I was still in school, when we still used to get our news from you magazine and Heiskanut. Dan, do you remember Heiskanut? <laughs> <laughs> I do and drum. Yes, when we used to get our news from there, the rumors about the Smiths having an open marriage from back then were pretty prevalent in the media. Right? Mm. So when the news finally came out, a lot of people were just like, but we people have been saying this for years. And I and, and like we knew this, been, yeah. Yeah, and they've been asked about it. They've never really denied it. They've spoken around it. They've just been like, yeah, that's our business. So, you know what I mean? And they've never been, outside of this August Alcina issue, like people that came forward similar to like what people were doing when they're coming forward against T.I. and Tiny about them trying to get other people into their bedroom but using drugs and manipulation and so forth to do so, right? So, so when the news finally broke, a lot of people were like, okay, but as far as I know, this has been going on for years. So I don't understand how when it's a rumor and people acknowledge that it might be true in the rumor, it's, ah, okay, they're weird, but that's their marriage. But then when they come forward and acknowledge, yeah, the rumors are true. This is how we approach our relationship. Now all of a sudden, Will Smith is being disgraced in some form or fashion. Oh, he's a, he's a B word for staying with the woman. But in all those rumors, were there not also allegations or, or, or stories about Will also having other partners? So it's just this weird rhetoric that's somehow been looped into the manosphere about sims and so forth. And then people are using that as a talking point, which I just find weird. And that's the other issue I have with Chris Rock's special is, have you seen, like, obviously there's been a lot of commentary 
and these days I, I, I take social media commentary with a grain of salt. But when I start to see the amount of right-wing white people who are resonating with your jokes, I can't get a little uneasy because I'm like, because the black people aren't laughing, but the white people are. And it's a particular subset of white people. I'm just like, okay. hmm. is, that, is that what you're making your comedy for these days? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, didn't he close off his special by saying, okay, again, uh, uh, let me yeah, not focus that, too much on even, the, Yeah, the, even that, it, that closing joke, fam, the nerve to do a mic drop after that weak ass joke. Come on, man. My mom told me no, but My point is, like, I don't want to focus too much on individual words because. Honestly, you're not trying to express your real feelings. You're trying to say whatever it is the funniest way possible or the funniest way that you can say it. So this is more of a, con- uh, more of a thought of you thought it was funny and clearly it wasn't, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I can't give more comments until I actually watch it. But in my opinion, I hear what you're saying as well. And I think it makes a lot of sense that this whole kind of space of, of trying to determine, everyone has such a strong opinion of you're supposed to do this a man is supposed to do this. Uh, you would. You should never let your wife or your wife... Say, like, dude, first of all, you literally don't know their life. You can't even begin to fathom to think about what their life is. Do you use live your life? Don't be out here trying to figure out or trying to, you know, trying to put whatever your thoughts are on someone else's life. Ugh. Anyway, um, shall we... Ooh. So something's been trending a lot. In Z- and a lot of our listeners are not in Zim. So I want to paint for you a picture of um, what it's like going in Harare, specifically in town. <laughs> um, typically, when you're going to town, uh, as you know, town is pretty congested. One of the things you have to do is to find somewhere to park, which is often very difficult to do. Um, I, I, love, I love how you explain this. Like, like listeners have no concept of parking. <laughs> so no, 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 I mean, there's I mean, this I, thing called a car. The, 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 yeah, it's it's got four wheels. No, okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to paint the, the 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 context. Okay, so when you want to park, you have to pay. We don't have parking meters or anything like that. You have to find uh, a parking steward who will then you know uh, collect money for your parking and na 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 na. Typically, in fact, most of the time, it is very difficult to find these people. I don't know why it feels like they've been assigned too big a space. It's almost impossible. Whenever you park, it's almost impossible to find them. That's been my experience the few times that I do go to town. I've actually gotten to a stage where I would actually prefer to take public transport into town because then I don't have to worry about parking. But anyway, um, it seems to be a big problem now. Uh, and it's been something that's been kind of talked about, but in the last couple of days, it's been a big issue because uh, Nigel Chinakira, um went to his Twitter and explained that he was asked to pay $130 because his car was clamped. It cost $130 to unclamp your car. And the thing is, it was clamped because he couldn't find the parking person. So he says, he looked, I looked for him, I couldn't find him, I went inside, I came back and my car was clamped. Some people have said that they do this on purpose because obviously, if you find the person, you pay $2. If you don't find the person, you pay $130. So maybe some of them are even informed. Could go and hide. Uh, some people have said that, no, they actually don't want you to pay the $130. They know it's so expensive. They'll just tell you, pay me 20, 30 bucks and I'll get you out of here. But anyway, these are just allegations and I'm not going to... Uh, uh, pretend that, that that's actual fact. The point is, it's a big issue right now. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, uh, 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 in fact, 
let me let me give you a, a, an update from the government. So it turns out the local government minister, July Moyo, has appointed a team to investigate the operations of the Harare City Council and its <laughs> subsidiary company, City Parking. So you can rest easy, Phil. It's sorted. So the city parking thing has always just been annoying. Especially if you remember a few years ago, it was actually deemed illegal, but then they, they pushed through. Zimbabwe is just a rogue state, but we'll, 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 we'll get to that. We're here now. As you correctly said, parking is a nightmare sometimes. But before, it wasn't as bad because sometimes like you'd park, they wouldn't be there. And then you'd come back to your vehicle when you're done and you, you just get a, a long, long receipt. And then the next time you went into town, you'd come across them and say, ah, you've got a, a debt yeah, of yeah. $3. Can you clear that debt, Gigi? Yeah. Then I remember a few months ago, I had a, I think I even tweeted about it. I had a debt, Dan, I kid you not, of $2. And this was because I had to go to ZTN. So there was a day I had to be at ZTN. As you know, ZTN is by Herald House. You park outside. When we got there, because we're doing the morning show, the parking guys were not on duty. We were in the studio for two hours. Came back out at 9 a.m., they had put the, um, the receipt on. Couldn't find these guys, so I left. I then went back into town to go to the bank. I get back from the bank. I've been clamped. And I find the guy. I'm like, my mind, what's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, you got a, a debt. I'm like, how much is the debt? It's like $2. And I just gave him this look where I think even he would just felt embarrassed. And he was like, okay, Sakam, do you have the money? I'm like, yes, I do have $2. Do you, do you really think a $2 debt constitutes a clamping? And then he unclamped the vehicle. Flash forward to this week. So, and I've, I've been seeing the, the stories on, on social media. And this is actually quite a funny. I don't, I need to protect some names, but let me tell you this funny story. So, um, as you know, Dan, uh, we, we just entered a new insurance period. So, uh, mm-hmm. police and, all, and, and radio licensed people and all those guys have been on the prowl because between my, my radio license expired end of February. So, first day of March, I'm trying to renew. First, this is the first day, Dad. I'm not exaggerating. The first day. First day of March, I realized, oh, snap, I need to go renew my stuff. I go to my insurance company. They are located in town, and it's close to me. Park the car. Can't find a parking dude. Actually, I do find a parking dude. I pay for the parking. I go inside the insurance. I... I try to pay for the insurance, but there's an issue because they've now changed the system. Long story short, I can't pay with US and Zimdollar. I've got to pay in either one, one currency or the other. I'm leaving the insurance office mm. to go get Zimdollar. They've clamped me. So I'm like, so I now speak to the guy and he comes and checks and is like, oh, yeah, I, I took your parking. So I'm like, so I've been clamped. And then he looks and says, like, oh, no, snap, your, your things have expired. So I'm like, my guy, you saw where I'm coming from, right? It's literally the first day of March. I am coming from trying to renew my licenses and you guys have clamped me. How does that work? They were... So, me being the person I am, they now ran it up the flagpole and then they called the sergeant who's in charge. Sergeant arrives and this man looks familiar. I'm like, 
yo, I know this face. And he's like, ah, couldn't do it. But he he also, he recognizes me, but he realizes, wait, this guy doesn't realize where he, I know him from or he knows me from. So he, we're playing this mm. weird back and forth. Eventually, come to find out. You remember the days I used to go to China? Mm. So back in the day, I used to fly to China and I used to buy a lot of tech. And one of the things I do is I would buy playstations and video games for the guys at Avondale because I could get games that far cheaper and I was bringing them in far cheaper than people that were bringing them from South Africa. I used to supply this guy and his boss with all the fifas. Then eventually he reveals, oh, you forget me from so-and-so's booth at Avondale. Oh, snap, that's you. So I'm like, yo, my man, you went from, you went from the flea market to a sergeant. That's that's quite a diverse career. <laughs> he's like, ah, I don't, I don't try, I don't try. Now he's even now he's going. He's like, I know, guys, take the clap off. I know this this dude supported me. I actually wouldn't be here if it wasn't fulfilled. I'm like, ah, my pants, my guy. So I I don't want to reveal names because technically I could have claimed, but I don't. I'm not going. To. But the annoying thing is, the cars in front and behind me were all clamped. Same issue, and it's it's ridiculous. Even if that is indeed the case. And as your boss rightly said, I don't know if you saw your boss on um, the telly mm. this morning. He rightly said, yep. um, avoiding the politics of the situation, it does not make sense for a $2 fine or, or rather a $2 arrears to incur a $130 fine. And same, um, same day, there's a story that came out that city of Harare, guess how much they, they've raised in the past three months from, the, from this mm. tactic of this? I have no idea. According to them, according to the reports, taking a grain of salt, it's $90 million. Well, you know, they must be proud of themselves. But me, meanwhile, my haven't got rubbish collected in two years. When is the last time they came to collect rubbish from your, your house? Uh, I mean, they come. They come every week. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Any, I, I think. I, I mean, okay. Well, you know, they come every week. But anyway, all right. Um, here's an interesting thing that I want to talk about. So this week there was a, a new advert for Aqua something water or other. Terrible Aqua advert clear. featuring Madam Boss. Ah, she's on hmm? a roll. She's on. Fi- she's on fire right now. She's on fire. It's a terrible advert. If you ever get a chance, just Google or like search. You know, what's it? Aqua, Dan. Aqua Clear. Aqua Is that what it's called? Dan, they've all been bad. Every advert she's done for 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 the umbrella <laughs> that controls that the Sting ads are horrendous. The Pepsi ads are horrendous. The 7-Up ads are horrendous. And I've been seeing them. I'm just like... And Dan and I were having this conversation off air where we were like... Sometimes, especially on Twitter, for example, sometimes I've, I've learned like... Sometimes just keep quiet because it's not worth it. Because you can't provide context and nuance. With the podcast, you kind of can. And the, the issue is, there's a very high likelihood that we will be in a meeting with the person that approves these ads one day. And he might hear this and then he, he might be like, but you guys were slagging my ads. And 
And we were like, if he was to come to us for any professional opinion, we would honestly tell him, your ads were terrible. This is why they were terrible. We don't know why you were releasing them, in, in the, why you thought this was resonating with the audience. Maybe it is. And in some instances, it's also okay for us to say, hey, you're not, know guys. It's just, ah, uh, we're not that demographic. There might be a demographic for this, or for, the, for this ad. It ain't us. But for me, objectively, the, the 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 ads that they're releasing, especially the ones that they they push a ton of ad of um promotion behind on Instagram, they've been bad. And that's the annoying thing is I've been able to get rid of ads everywhere else on the internet except Instagram. Mm. And yeah. So Dan, <sighs> okay. I don't know. Um, how, how do you feel about Aqua? Do you feel the CGI work was good? Did you like the color grading? Did you like how they balanced her? I, I, I don't I don't want to focus on that specifically. Uh, it was terrible ad. But what I want to what I want to focus on is TV ads and TV in general in Zim. I had a very interesting conversation today actually, and I thought this would be I thought I'd I'd bring it here uh, as well. And it, uh, it was I was discussing with some uh, people in marketing and advertising, and it was like, what's going on with the TV commercial? And it was based on this advert, by the way. What's going on with the TV commercial in Zim? Once upon a time, there was a lot of resources dedicated to making a TV commercial, and now it's clear everyone is just using the cheapest, cut corner most. Uh, um, basic templates possible. And I mean, as we were discussing, there's some of the obvious things that you can think about. Obviously, you know, there isn't a lot of disposable income and na 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 na. But one of the things I thought about is, number one, who's watching TV in Zim? There are some people. In fact, some using statistics, estimate of number of people in Zimbabwe who have subscribed to DSTV. Um, it's very difficult to estimate because there's a lot of Zimbabweans who pay through South Africa for their Zimbabwean account. So, um, you know, it wouldn't be registered as a Zimbabwean account. But anyway, the point is, there's, let's say, 100 to 200,000 DSTV subscribers in Zimbabwe. And I feel like that's a very generous estimate. Some inside information I was given has it even lower than that. But using somewhat official numbers from a couple of years ago and extrapolating and whatever, let's say 100 to 200,000 in Zimbabwe subscribers to DSTV. Um, that accounts for 1% of the population. So what is the other 99% of the population doing? Social media statistics say that up to 10% roughly of Zimbabweans are actively using Facebook. Even less than that are using Instagram, etc. But those who watch YouTube videos, I, th I think it was 1 point something million, which is like 10% of the population. Again, so what is the other 90% of Zimbabweans doing? When they're at home and there's, by some miracle, power, what are they doing on a random Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday evening at 9 p.m. at home with the family? Any ideas? I don't have the answer. All I can do is just make assumptions. If 1% of the population is watching DSTV, 10% of the population is able to access YouTube, but obviously data is expensive. They can only watch a little bit here and there. What is the average 90% plus of the population doing 
for entertainment. Well, I would I would argue that a big chunk of them are probably watching ZBC. Probably a big chunk of them are not doing any any electronic entertainment of any kind. Some of them are listening to radio, sure. But they're just the average Zimbabwean, 90%. What are they doing? They're not watching TV. A lot of them, I think there's a big chunk that are watching ZBC. But the problem is, as time has gone, the, the average middle class person who has a house that they're renting or that they own in a mid to high density area with their family, they can't afford anything anymore. The buying power of the middle class has severely been eroded at Zim. The average person is not going to take out uh, an account at, at Edgar's as they used to, or at Barber's, or at Greaterman's, and stuff like that. So it's very difficult to advertise. There's a lot of people watching ZBC, but they don't have disposable income. It's very difficult to advertise for them. So an advertiser now has to make a decision. How much am I going to put in? How much am I going to invest? Not only time, resources, and money, but, but like also even thinking. What's the point? Because when was the last time you watched ZBC, Phil? I see where you're going and I'm, I'm struggling, but like... I. Can I interject now? This is, not, this is not a justification. It's not a justification. No, no. It's just a look at what the industry is so, now. But, and it's kind of like a sad sort of but, state of but, affairs. But it's, 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 a, it's a very myopic look and it's incorrect for a number of reasons. One is, yes, the um, audiences are fragmented. That's a global issue, right? They're fragmented everywhere. For example, we're just talking, well, we are going to talk about Twitter. Twitter at, at any given time only has that's 300. Not, that, but that's not, that's not at all what I said, no, by the way. Hold on. That's I, not I, at all I, what I, I'm I, not yeah. saying Zimbabwean audiences are fragmented. Hold on. Go so, on. yeah, the audiences are fragmented, which means you don't know where to reach them. Some on ZBC, some are on DSTV, some on social media. There are low numbers across all those three mediums, right? There's also a low disposable income for the consumers. Correct. There's also constrained budgets from the the brands themselves to produce the content to promote their products. However, with the brands with the brands we are messaging and the premises provided, they do have some form of revenue coming in to justify the ad spend. And objectively, these are not good ads. These are horrible across the board. And I think that's my whole frustration with a lot of these things is sometimes we can watch a show, right? Like um, a telenovela, for example. Objectively, telenovelas aren't for us, right? But we can still watch it and be like, oh, okay, storyline not really for us, but the set design is good, lighting is good, makeup is good, wardrobe is good, but the, the final product, not for me. And that's that's my issue here, and my counteract to the po- to the points that I think you are making. If I'm wrong, let me know. Is because of the constrained budgets and essentially the limited resources available and the situation in the country. It's hard to create a content um, on a on a tight budget, but also content that re- reaches the audience effectively. But me personally, with my small agency, I've been able to do that. I've got clients who write glowing testimonials and case studies that say, yo, there was a small budget. The content was great. The results speak for themselves. We're good. I don't understand how a brand 
as large as Pepsi is allowing. I don't, I don't even. I don't even understand how. It, I don't even understand like from a global CI standpoint how the same brand that used to sponsor the Super Bowl and had Beyonce as a representative would see some of this content and be like, "Yeah, sharp, sharp, go ahead." You misunderstand me. Mm. I've moved right at the beginning of what I was saying. That inspired me to think. I'm not discussing Pepsi mm. anymore. I'm discussing the state of no. media, TV, and I'm I'm I'm, so I'm on the I'm same not, light. I'm just I'm just so, using so, so, I'm just so using I, that I, example. So it's, it sounds to me like it thing. sounds to me like you're yeah. It sounds to me like you're refuting. You're saying I disagree with you because I could have made a better ad. I'm no, like, yo, no, that's I'm not even I'm talking saying, about that Dad. ad. Dad, I'm, that's not what I'm, I'm saying. What I'm saying is also I'm saying mm-hmm. is yes, the situation in Zim is suboptimal. However, the justification that because the situation in Zimbabwe is suboptimal. It's not a justification. No, hold it's on. Not a just- hold hear on. me out. Okay, okay. Let, me, let me finish my point and then you can counter. I'm saying like, in the people that say because the situation is suboptimal for whatever number of reasons, that then somehow leads to the content. And it's not just this. I mean, we've been making fun of a number of brands. We, we are joking about the fire emoji steers thing. The... Like it seems like it's almost like on a weekly basis now. If you remember the there was even remember that Mama's peanut butter ad, there's just a bunch of just objectively bad ads. And some of them, it seems like they deliberately made bad or quiche to become talking points. And then somewhere it's clear that Abba, you guys are just trying to cut costs. Like we see what you're trying to do, but because you cut costs so aggressively, the execution is bad. And what I'm saying to that is in as much as things are suboptimal, I don't understand why the whole industry seems to have reverted to this less than, for lack of a better term, just good quality ads. It's sad to me that in 2023, we can't produce ads that can match the Olivine and Chibuku ads that we grew up on from 30 years ago. When, <laughs> that is sad, but okay. What we're what we're doing here, Phil, is I said, "Hmm, fire is hot," and you're like, "No, Dan, I disagree because grass is green." And then I'm like, "Wait, Phil, I'm not even talking about grass." No, wait, let me finish my point before you counter. I'm not even trying yeah. to counter your point. We're talking about two completely different things. Okay, wait, completely I'm different. Interject. So, hear me out. Thirty years ago, there was a big population that could afford to buy, to make choices when buying. Therefore, it made sense for the different companies to create adverts, to try and, all, all the reasons that you would make a TV commercial, uh, um, brand recall, uh, top of mind, all of that. So if I am Olivine, I know that there's other, or there's other oil companies that are out there, there's the potential of importing. I want you, who's got disposable income, when you go to the shops, and you are making a decision to buy something, I want to push you over into buying my product. So it makes sense for me to make an advert. This is anecdotal information, by the way. I'm going to refer to some statistics in a moment, but just anecdotally. At the moment, that whole entire class of people that existed in 1990, 95, 2000 even, I'm arguing that right now, the entire class doesn't exist anymore. Either you are hustling and struggling to make a living, or you are wealthy and live across the, the, um, the railway line. And that is such a small percentage of people. That, per, that group of people that live across the railway line, 
who are somewhat wealthy by comparison, they may not be wealthy, wealthy by international standards, but by comparison, they are not watching ZBC. That means the people you're reaching who may perhaps be watching ZBC, either way, cannot afford to go to the shops and make a decision. They are buying the cheapest thing they can find, the closest place that they can find it. So what is the point of me making an advert? The, what I would rather invest my money in is getting my product to the local tuck shops so that it can be bought from the person who can't even afford money to get into town to go to the shops or there's no supermarkets in your area because it's an informal settlement or whatever other myriad of reasons that I haven't studied long enough to fully understand. But my point is, I don't believe that that entire class of people exists. So for that reason, the whole industry of creating an advert to persuade you to buy something, the average on TV, even on radio, it's really difficult. The whole, that whole industry ceases to have a need to exist. So if it doesn't need to exist, the people who might want to do it and who get into it, the, 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 the guys who are good at doing it, the people who are great at scripting, who are good actors, who are good animators, all of that no longer exist because the industry no longer needs to exist because the people who are going to watch those adverts don't exist anymore. That's how I see it going. And as a natural byproduct of that, we have trash. It's all trash. And it's not, yes, uh, um, you, we sh- with the same budgets, we should have something better. Yes. But the people who can make something better, they're not working in that industry anymore because it's pointless. I can't make money out of this. The people who can't, not everyone can make an ad. You need talent. You need ability. So if, if you were going to have that ability to work in that industry, chances are you're looking for a job outside the country or you're making YouTube videos or you're making music videos because at least that artist has been sponsored by Mbinga and can pay you 10 grand or whatever other myriad of reasons. I don't know. That's my theory. Now, now, just referring to statistics briefly, I'm very surprised to see that um, according to Zamps, and Zamps has its own problems, I don't want to get too deep into it, but according to Zamps, 42%, or rather 46, uh, this is end of 2021. I have the 2022 figure somewhere. Anyway, end of 2021, 46% of the country watches TV. And it's almost a 50-50 split DSTV and ZBC. which I find very interesting. But to be fair, the, the question is, did you watch TV in the past four weeks? Which, what did you see on TV in the past four weeks? So anyone who would have gone to a sports bar and watched DSTV will mention I watched DSTV. Um, anyone, anyone who would have seen a clip somewhere of ZBC would mention it. Anyway, so it's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a flawed uh, um, statistic. But anyway, my point in bringing all of this is, it made me think about the media industry as a whole in Zim, where it is, because that whole class of people doesn't exist, in my opinion. And I could be wrong. I, want, I haven't studied the Zim population. This is all anecdotal. Maybe that, that's where I, I think the conversation would be interesting about whether these guys can do better or not do better. Man, it's sucked for a while. Everyone sucks. Everything, every advert we've seen sucks. It all sucks. And that's because, man, none of these people be working in that. Dep- it's some random person who says I can do it and who can't really do it. And ugh. Anyway. Right. Yeah, so, so no, I, I, I still talking. I, I was trying to, I was trying to give you I'm done. a chance to speak without interrupting. Yes. Okay. Please go ahead. So, uh, not to be insulted, but you're wrong. So, the reason why that is is as you, as you, you do have a salient point in that. Um, the key, the key issue here, particularly as Zim 
but it's not uh, it's not unique to Zim actually. Um, has evolved and as the market has evolved, is not necessarily um the key thing with with any product, especially a mass product, is distribution. How accessible is your product to the consumer you're trying to reach? And in Zimbabwe, it's still by far away for the most part mass market products by far generate way more revenue than niche products. So your your cooking oils, your flowers, your soft drinks, soft drinks are a major thing, your snacks, your 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 entry level snacks, those are massive movers. Those are probably some of the biggest products in Zim. And as you rightly said, for the most part, a consumer is going to buy from the local tax shop or if they're lucky enough on payday, maybe they'll go to the to like a Muhammad Musa or or big wear a big wholesaler, get everything that the, the big things that they need, put them on the combi and take them back home. But with all those examples, there still needs to be a buyer decision because with mass market products, there's still a wide length and breadth of products, right? Sometimes it is just about price. It's okay. I'm in the supermarket. Which loaf of bread is the cheapest? Which drink is the cheapest? Which uh, packet of sugar is the, is the cheapest? But there also is brand trust. If I am used and I've been buying product X for whatever period of time, and that's what I'm used to, there's a new product on the market. And let's say it's a 10% price difference. Depending on who I am as a person, even at at that level, I might decide, you know, this is the brand I know. I'm sticking to this because the other there's there's a risk in trying out a new product, especially if you can't afford. Like if you have a budget of one packet of sugar a month, the risk of buying a different type of sugar that is not going to be received well by you or the rest of the household is far greater than the potential saving. You get what I'm saying? And even within that, as a brand. Dan, I, I think you're talking about your mic is off. No, no, I'm not. I'm listening. Oh. So, but even as a brand, even with, with, with all that, there still need to be assets created. So, if we're talking mass market, you still need to have shelf talkers, which are, which are the cardboard cutouts or the PVC cutouts that you'll see in your supermarkets, in your, your wholesalers, to say that these products are available, Right. You'll still need end-of-aisle assets. You'll still need, if we're talking about water or drinks or something like that, you'll still need billboards because those are still created. And at the top of that funnel is going to be some form of video content, right? And you can repurpose it. So I can make a, a TV ad, and then depending on whatever brand or product I'm pushing, that TV ad will also be distributed on social media. So on YouTube, those those are those, we've seen a number of local brands doing um, pre-roll ads, mid-roll ads on YouTube. They'll also go on Facebook. They'll also go on WhatsApp. They'll also go on Twitter. Then those same assets from those same ads might even be repurposed for a video billboard, or stills from that ad will be for a still billboard, or a number of still billboards, or flyers, or printed on shirts uh, for a campaign, and. Even if we are crossing the line, uh, as you mentioned, crossing the railway line to 
um, less affluent neighborhoods, there'll still be um, vinyl stickers on combis. There'll still be people that are pushing. So I don't want to make it like a, a thing, but like one of the things that Pepsi are really doing well in Zim, um, which maybe bring it back is Pepsi have done an amazing job of getting their product to the people you mentioned, like the street vendors, um, the people with tuck shops. So it's now far easier. Like if I'm in the CBD and I just want to drink, um, it's very easy for me to find uh, a, a branded, um, uh, my, the name is me, a branded seller. But why is my brain off right now? The guys that sell stuff, right? They'll, they'll either be selling it by a via handle, they'll have a little trolley. Vendors. And, and those vendors, sorry. And the vendors will have AquaClear and they'll have Pepsi and they'll have 7up. And sometimes that buy decision is instance where, like, it's not, and normally, I, I, I only drink Nestle water. If you're thirsty, you're thirsty. You're just going to buy what water's available. You know what I mean? And they've done a great job of just being accessible in those areas. But even within that, right, if I now go to the tuck shop and that tuck shop has three different types of waters, how am I making my decision? The reason why you're running ads is, and you're using celebrities to do it is you are borrowing the celebrities' audience and the trust that f- fans have and the brand recognition fans have with that person. But like, you know what? I don't know about this brand, but I saw so-and-so speaking about it. My, my risk is low. Let me just try that water, right? So that's why I'm saying, why I'm disagreeing with, yes, the situation has changed and evolved. The situation in Zim is suboptimal. But there are certain principles that still apply, especially with mass market products, because those are the things that actually move volumes and generate revenue. Margins might be thinner, but overall volumes and profits in some of these things are far higher from the numbers that I've seen in meetings that I've been in when I've seen um, the 2022 numbers. And you'll be surprised how much revenue is being generated to these markets. So it is doubly frustrating knowing that brands, and this isn't just that one brand, but this is now across the board because Dan and I deal with this on a daily. These brands are actually, for some, in some instances, extremely profitable. But because they are so, profitable, they don't see the need to invest in marketing because they have mark they have intrinsic market share already. So it's almost just an afterthought. It's like, yeah, we've already got the shelf space, we've already got the distribution network, we've already got our, our sellers in place. Okay, it's a tick box exercise. Okay, we do we need to run it? Okay, we need to run it. Fine. Okay, what's the smallest amount of money we can spend so we can just tick that box? And that's the frustrating thing. <sighs> Here's where I disagree with you. You've described to me something very textbook. And my whole point is that doesn't work anymore here. Of course, I'm speaking in very uh, absolute language. I know that there are situations and pockets where it does. But as a general rule, I'm saying that textbook way of marketing you've described, even for mass market products, is no longer a thing in Zim. You're talking about three different types of water at the tuck shop. What? Are you serious? Have you actually gone to a supermarket recently and looked for sugar and tell me you see three different types of sugar in there? You won't. I'm using examples. Dude, and not only that. These are, okay, wait. Okay. Those, even, those examples you're using, are they, they, they are part of the whole situation anyway. And not only that, um, the people who are, go- there's, there's no, lo- that whole idea of I'm going to Mohammed Musa after payday to go and buy in bulk so that I can feed my family for the month. That's not a thing no more, man. 
That used to be a thing back in the day. That's what I'm describing. That used to exist, which does, of course, to a certain extent it might, but it's not a thing like it used to be. I, I heard a very funny situation from uh, one of these, uh, I won't mention them by name, but one of these stores that sell in bulk, similar to Mohamed Musa. And he mentions that we used to think that the bulk of our, our customers were, you know, the typical average person buying for home. We were shocked to find out that by far the majority of our purchases were business owners because they had general stores, general dealerships, tuck shops, etc. They're the ones who are coming to buy from us. That person is going to buy in bulk to go and sell the tuck shop. Now, of course, there can be some value to be had about how to make sure they pick this, this flavor of snacks over that flavor of snacks. I, 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 I hear that and I see the, I see the potential of that. And I, I don't... I don't say that there's zero value to marketing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the, the way things used to be is not the way things are now. And the way things are now is that there isn't as much value in marketing as there used to be because the, the factors for someone buying, I had a conversation with our mutual friend who owns a supermarket as well. And he said the same thing because I was saying, hey man, advertise. He's like, bruh, I was doing my research as to what factors are causing people to buy. And in most cases, for most people, the factors that are causing them to buy has nothing to do with brand or favorites or top of mind. It's literally, I'm going to the closest place to me to buy one thing that I need for today, the cheapest I can get, and then we come again tomorrow. So, so but Dan, anyway. but I, I'm saying the same. So, I'm not speaking from textbook. I'm also speaking from experience because this is what I'm, I'm doing with some clients. And you're highlighting what I, what, I, what I was saying in that in certain examples, if we're talking mass market, right? For example, depending on what the relationship is, because there's, there, there still are two. With general dealers, for example, if they have a branding deal and if they are honoring their branding deal, now whether or not those branding deals are being honored, that information I don't have. So I'm not going to claim to know. But in times gone past, for example, Brand X would come to you and be like, hey, we, we know you're a general dealer. We'll pay for your signage. We'll pay for your branding. We'll absorb that cost on our end on the condition that you sell our stock. We'll give you sales support. We'll make sure that you, you move. And for the most part, our stuff is already a desired product within the market. There's a small percentage of people who might prefer the alternative. But when they're in store, they're just going to relent and make the buying decision to get this product, right? So there, there is that, which is why I counted and I said the, the situation in Zim is different now because guys have done a really good job to get vendors um, and people with tuck shops. And sometimes it's not even a tuck shop. It's it, it, it only like a table. It's like a table per corner these days. Like if you, if you go to the, even, even, even in, in, in most neighborhoods, but particularly in, in high density suburbs, sometimes it's literally just a wooden table that, and they put their stuff in a, in, in a changan bag, they take it home, and the next morning they come back, they empty out the changan bag, they lay out their, their wares, and they sell them, right? Those people, as you said, as, as you rightly said, there is that buyer decision, or rather there is a, 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 um, a purchase being made by an affluent tuck shop owner. But even within that, that affluent tuck shop owner, is either buying for one or two reasons. And keep in mind, the decision that tuck shop owner has to make is, 
the cheapest product doesn't necessarily move the fastest. Because if they are making a buying decision, they're also trying to think, you know, which item am I purchasing that I'm going to turn over the quickest so I can buy the next the next batch, correct? Are we in agreement there? No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's so and there's I, a lot of so, so there's a lot of places where you're you're so, in your example, there's a lot of places where you're using the word decision where I don't believe there's a decision so, made. So but anyway. In my and this this I can speak on from experience. Hey, I don't know. I'm unleashing too many files. What I'll say is this is there was there was a time I worked closely with someone who introduced the ch- a cheap um snack into the, the market. It was it was the cheapest. By, by without a shadow of a doubt. Packaging was actually really decent. Taste wise, mm, subjective obviously because How long ago how long ago was this? Uh this was three years ago. Okay. So three years ago. They introduced this product and for the life of them, they couldn't sell because there was no brand recognition. Distribution network report, they found a good distributor. Um they were reaching the places they should have reached. But when it got to that place, people were not purchasing that product, even though it was cheap. And my assessment at the time was simply because there was no brand recognition. And I still do believe there is need for some level of brand recognition in that value chain, even in the purchasing decisions you're describing. Because if that were the case, right, um, if it was simply just a matter of price and price alone, then surely, I don't want to mention brands, but let's screw it. Then surely, Baker's Inn would, be, would kill the market with bread. Because Baker's Inn has the network, they have the resources, they have the capital. If they wanted to, they're just like, it's fine. We, we will wipe out everyone else in the market, make the cheapest bread, and we'll take over. But that's not the case. Um, I see it. I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's price and price alone. I'm saying what used to be the decision making, i.e. favorites, thoughts. And so I'm saying the average person no longer buys. And again, this is anecdotal. I, I hate speaking in such absolutes when I'm, I'm, you know, when I don't have data to back it up. But it's still, my opinion is the average person no longer buys, you know, grocery from the, from the supermarket. The average person is going to buy what we need for, t- for supper tonight or what we are eating on the construction uh, 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 site today for lunch. So that person is going to whatever the nearest place is and they're just going to buy whatever they can afford with whatever they have. If the bread is $1, if the other one is 99 or 95 cents, it's the same because they're buying with a dollar. So it's not necessarily the cheapest. My point is, the decisions are no longer out these days, no longer made. Hmm, I'm in a supermarket with multiple options. Do I choose my family's favorite? Do I choose? I don't believe that that's what's going on anymore. But anyway, let's move on let's from be, this. Uh, We've okay. become an economics discussion podcast. Maybe, in fact, we should bring on someone to discuss. But I'll give you this example, right? So, so let's 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 use let's use that hypothetical. In fact, we should actually speak. Not we should speak to Nyasha. We'll, one one day I'll ask you to stay long, <laughs> do overtime, so we get we get interview her. But the a perfect example of this, and let's <laughs> let's not, let's use something that let's let's use something that's very a necessity: cooking oil, right? 
for 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 us to cook the food, mm-hmm. kumba, panodewa mafood. So we have to get cooking oil. So depending where I'm staying, let's go to the hypothetical where I live. Um, uh, I live in a high density suburb. I go to the tuck shop, and let's just say for the sake of this argument, there are two brands of cooking oil, right? There are two brands equally priced. Now, in there's other variables in play, like who has been sent to the store. Um, for the most part, psychographically, humans are going to buy what they're used to. So if you send the child, the child is going to recognize, oh, the empty bottle was this color, so I'm getting the same one. I'm not changing, right? If the mother goes, for example, then and she's now thinking of economics and maybe, you know what, and she she's now a more nuanced purchaser, she might start considering other factors. But for the most part as well, she's going to go to the brand that she's bought before. My question is, in a competitive market, what becomes the first brand that person buys? And so that's I, what I'm saying. I, for me, the, the premise of that is flawed because... The premise of that is flawed for me because there wouldn't be two brands. Do you get what I mean? But... But along that chain, okay. There's so no, there's no tuck shop that no, is stocking. No, let's go up a step. And this guy, so let's go up a step. Let's say someone goes to the, the market of our friend. And this guy, he's definitely got more than one mm. brand in that market, right? So the person, who, the person who's making yep. that purchase now, if they're equally priced and it's a bulk purchase and the difference is negligible, and we're talking maybe either identical or differences in cents in Zim dollar. What decision is I, okay? That it see it seem it, it. All right, so it kind of seems like I'm being I'm focusing on semantics, but it it does kind of underline the point I'm trying to make. Realistically, do you think that Nyasha buys a bottle of cooking oil for home? Yeah, she does. Okay. I don't think so. Or if she does, I mean, Nyasha is relatively well paid compared to her competitors, even though it's so low. But um, I think people are living survival mode. Do you get what I mean? And I, I like agree we've with got you. a cup of we've I, got a cup of milli meal and ndawana veggie on the way home. That's what we're eating today. Yeah, we we are we are on, we are in but, the same we are in the same breath. But what I'm saying is right. Let's for us to get cup that cup was decanted from something, right? Because Mm-hmm. Cooking oil is not even if you go to the tuck shop to buy said cup of cooking oil, it's decanted from a, a a full container. And if you've just said a business owner who owns a tuck shop is the one that bought it, that that business owner is now in a wholesaler buying cooking oil to stock his tuck shop. What buying decision is yeah. he making? So for the most part, as we've said, if we're if we are neglecting and we're saying everyone's in survival mode and everyone is is strictly considering profitability and whatnot, the majority of that buying decision is going to rely on pricing, right? So, for the most part, mm-hmm. because things are so competitive, pricing across the board, especially for mass market commodity goods, is identical. We're, this is cooking oil. They're not buying um, extra virgin olive. So, the pricing is pretty much going to be identical because <laughs> there are people whose job it is to figure out, yo, how do we sell more of this product? So, they're looking at the competitors and they're saying, competitor X selling it at, uh, at this price, 
can we match or beat that price, right? And that's why I'm asking you, that person that's at that wholesaler, when they see the multiple brands available in that aisle for cooking oil, what buying decision are they making? And I'm saying, the, so, the brand that invests at that level in terms of distribution, in terms of visibility, is most likely, and or the one that does the volume drive. So if I go there, for example, and, that, so, so and brand you're a- right. So that's what I was saying earlier. Remember, you're actually saying what I said earlier. When I was saying, if rather than putting an ad on a commercial, I would rather invest in making sure that my product is available at said uh, um, uh, uh, tuck shops. So for example, if I had a truck that went around the neighborhoods in the mornings of all these different locations to, to drop off stock for the day or whatever the case is, that would that would, based on what we've discussed, of course, there's other factors we don't know, but based on what we've discussed, that would be a far better use of resources than putting a TV ad. Because if I can just make sure that your tuck shop, tuck shop is stocked with my item, then your person who's buying it anyway will buy it. So, okay. Um, the, the premise of this whole discussion started from TV commercials are so bad nowadays, including the one that we mentioned for AquaClear plus all these Pepsi uh, beverages and whatever. TV commercials are so bad. And I'm saying, to me, that's an interesting symptom of a bigger whole conversation, which is, hey, the whole media situation and advertising is bad in Zim. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what's going on? What is the average population doing? What are they, what are they thinking? What are they doing? How is that affecting a marketing manager or a business owner's decisions on advertising? Because surely it makes a difference on if the bulk of your goods are bought by people with disposable income or people who don't have disposable income. How, what decisions would you make? All of that. The answer is obviously not don't do any marketing at all, but you might have a different method of doing it. That's, that's where I was taking this whole thought and this whole discussion. And obviously, I don't want us to, 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 to spend way too much time discussing hypotheticals based on information that we don't even have. But clearly, there's something going on because all the advertising we've seen is terrible. So, I haven't seen a good advert in Zim in years. But my, my whole premise has been, granted, my information is limited to the clients I have or the people I consult with and the, the data that's available to me, right? But with, with those, and these, these are not small brands. These are quite substantial brands. And I see what's going on. And you're, you're correct. It's, it's now, it's essentially become a race to the bottom, which I understand. It is what it is. And, but my, and my whole premise is in the race to the bottom, depending on how the, the company is structured, for the most part, even like a volume drive or a sampling initiative, that is part of the marketing efforts, right? They, and even if worst comes to worst, you don't, and as you, 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 you correctly said, there's a lot of things you're saying that are right. My issue has been, like I said, is advertising is treated like a tick box exercise which is doubly frustrating because on one side... Why? It's because it's just like, it's commonplace. It's like, we've always done this. We have to... It's a tick... Literally, by definition, it's a tick box exercise. When we're, but when why? I'm, why? But... No, Dan, are there no people who've studied marketing and advertising? No, Dan, you're missing the point. We are agreeing. We are saying mm-hmm. that, yes, the point of creating an expense, investing $20,000 in an incredible ad that's going to get people talking for cooking oil or beverage. Ultimately, it's not going to really have a real impact if your distribution and your marketing effort, your sales efforts aren't 
up to snuff because of the economy. Correct. So my thing is okay. That's that's all I was saying from the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But and my issue is this: you don't have twenty thousand. Let's say you have five hundred dollars. My frustration is there is no creativity or an effort to figure out. You know what? My resources are extremely constrained. How do I use these effectively and not damage the reputation of my brand and not try to just create content for the sake of creating content or just create conversation that doesn't really impact my brand in a positive manner? Because the issue here, the, okay. the reason why we brought let's, this up. Let's, right? let's follow up then. Why is there no creativity? Is it because Zimbabweans are intrinsically not creative? It's because people, I think I'm back to it. It's become a tick box exercise because they don't care. Okay, wait, let's not make it circular. It's become a tick box ex- uh, exercise because there's no creativity. Why is there no creativity? Yes, because the, there's no incentive. And my, uh, my, answer, my answer to that is, that's what I've been saying from the beginning. But because you're missing my counter. Advertising you're missing is not, my counter. Be- because because for most situ- in some situations a TV commercial can be effective, but it it seems to me for most situations a TV commercial in Zim will not be effective. Therefore, there's going to be less resources applied to it. When there's less resources applied, not just by one company but by an entire industry over multiple years, the most creative, most talented, the best at doing a particular kind of business are either going to migrate, start doing something else. They're not going to stick around for that $500. So the ones left are the ones who are not talented, who are not creative, who will happily take that $500. And that's what I've been saying from the beginning. Because of the socioeconomic, political, demographical factors, this is why it's affected the whole industry. And that's what I've been saying from the beginning. But the thing you're missing that, that I keep trying to drive home is the investment is still there further down the line. And now let, let me speak to it anecdotally. We've discussed a few bad ads on the podcast before. So let's just keep it to that thing. Every single one of those ads has been a multi-platform ad, which means it's not only gone out on digital, they put it in store, right? They've designed mm-hmm. um, print materials around those ads. They invest in video billboard ads. Some of these ads, we see them in Borodale. And I know the cost of, of, of those Alliance billboards along Borodale Road, the video ads, right? Those are, you, mm-hmm. you're looking at $800 to $2,000 a month just for ad space on those billboards. And that is my frustration. It's like, because it's become a tick box exercise almost where, okay, we have to do a video ad. And in your rationale, you're like, let's spend the least amount of money possible on the creation of the asset, but you don't adjust how you distribute the asset because your distribution costs for that asset are still incredibly high. As you've mentioned, it's still going to go on TV. TV is not cheap. In as much as, in as, in as, much as we, we joke about it, it's still relatively expensive to get an ad on ZBC, right? It's still expensive to run a social media campaign depending on what your metrics are, you're still investing in it. And that's w- where I'm like, strategically, the, there's a mistake being made here. And that's my issue, is the li- resources are limited. And I guess, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in essence, it comes back to like what you're saying is, if there was someone who was smart enough 
to realize strategically I'm not using my resources effectively here. Those people that are smart enough to realize that have left. But that's the frustration. It's the people that have that have remained now who are authorizing these budgets, who aren't seeing the value in it. They are they are becoming architects of their own downfall because they're devaluing the ads, which then creates this downward spiral that creates a race to the bottom. But they still prop up everyone else who's who's the non-creative, like the people that own real estate with the billboards. They're still getting they're still getting their money. Like the drop-off has been minimal for the people that own billboards. The drop-off has been minimal for the people that still run distribution ads. The drop-off has been minimal for people that do printing. But the the actual creatives, the people that do the the the, the hard graft, they're the ones disenfranchised. And that's my frustration. It's like the creatives are treated as disposable, but everyone else is seen as a valuable member of the value chain. And that's where my real issue is. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, that is also true. I look, man. May I have may I have spotted my way out. I don't know about the rest of y'all. <clears throat> anyway, um, let's move. Uh, let's spend a little bit of time talking about this Twitter situation because nah, I, I think it was quite interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I so, long story short, if you if you hadn't heard about it, this is how it works. Because we still have to get into white people business, baby. So, um. Has continued his his excellent uh period at the helm of uh embattled social media giant still a giant Twitter. You see, there's a, a man who decided to go to his Twitter um and complain to his boss. He decided to go directly to, to, um, to Elon Musk. <laughs> no, I knew what he was doing. He, was, asking. He, was, he, he knew what he was doing. Uh, no, but, but I love it. I love his snark. He's such a snarky dude. I love his humor. <laughs> yeah, he's he, knew, he's always, he, 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 knew, he knew exactly what he was doing. As much as we want to be like, no, he was just... He no, but it's genius. And I, I'm for it. I'm team him. Uh, no, no, I'm team him. Uh, no, it was genius. I love it. I, I love it. Chess, not checkers, my guy. Chess, not checkers. <laughs> Okay, so long story short, there's this guy, his name's Harold. Um, he hits up Elon Musk on Twitter and he says, hey, uh, just checking, uh, I seem to have lost access to my machines. No one's told me anything. Have I been fired? So Elon Musk responds to him and he's like, oh, uh, what department are you in? What do you do? Where do you work? Um, and, you know, they have now a back and forth on Twitter where he explains to him what he's doing and then Elon says, go on. And then he says, well, I can't really reveal more because of, you know, confidentiality. And then Elon is like, no, you've got permission. Go ahead. Then he says, this is what I've done. Then the guy says, ah, no, actually, I now know who you are. After, I guess he did his own, his own research. Um, you're the guy who claims to be disabled and meanwhile, you do nothing. So the guy says, ah, oh, when you say I'm claimed to be disabled, I actually have muscular dystrophy. And um, this is, that, which was fine because I was in a director position. But anyway, if this is how it's going to be, if I'm fired, it's all good. You have every right to fire me. It's just you kind of owe me $100 million if you fire me. So that's not accurate, by the way. It wasn't exactly $100 million. We're, we're The company was acquired for $100 million. Uh, basically, he, fo- he formed a company. Sometime back, Twitter bought that company for $100 million. Part of the terms of the contract was he would earn part of his money um, as a salary by continuing to work uh, for Twitter in that department of that company. But obviously, since then, 
Uh, no. Things were moved around. But then, Bosses were fired. Directors were fired. Elon Musk did his thing. So now he's like, hey, if you're not going to pay me as a salary and if you fired me, then you just have to pay me the full amount. Yeah, and then Elon realized, story wait short, a minute, I can't fire him because if I do fire him, then it's going to kick in that I owe him the, uh, the full payout, which I don't have right now. Yeah. So yeah, and I was like, please stay. Imagine Elon Musk with his whole ego after talking out the side of his neck, put out a tweet that says, I would like to apologize to Halley for my misunderstanding of his situation. It was based on things I was told were untrue or in some cases true, but not meaningful. He is considering remaining at Twitter. How? (laughs) 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 And the thing is, you know what? I saw people praising Elon. Yeah. You must look out for these people who are freeloaders in the company. You know, Dan. Dan and I just knew I was like, oh, I'm waiting. Oof. Dan, you I'm know, waiting. people Oof. people have no common sense. The thing is, we just need to. We need to. St- I, and I was saying this before the show, and I wasn't joking. The problem is, we don't we don't swing it a big enough. If you just start swinging a big enough thing, people will start believing you. They'll start buying, even if it's nonsense like this. They'll buy it. Because keep in mind, on top of the same day, did you, did you see the other thread? Um, and it was, it was later confirmed. There's a developer who was like, yo, I'm getting paid every two weeks, but I, I don't know what I'm doing at Twitter. So. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> person was like, yo. He's like, literally, I don't have a job. I was hired, but all my bosses were fired. Everyone in the line of whatever was fired. So I, I get my salary, but I, I, I don't, haven't done anything. I've got no login access. I, I keep emailing. No one is responding. I don't know who to speak to. I haven't been given a, an employee card. But Rubad Rajanko. But also, I don't like. I mean, if people I, if, people also selling themselves out. Like, if I ever got that lucky, if I ever got that lucky, then you know what the last thing I'd be doing is tweeting, t- telling I, my thirty thousand kind of followers, understand. telling my thirty thousand followers that no, guys, I mean, ah, Jack, shut <laughs> up, ah, I'm just, ah, dude, I get to do whatever I want, ah, Elon, ah, my guy, you would not hear from me. And this is also the same way <laughs> where Elon was firing workers. And then instead of paying them in cash, it was like, okay, we can't give you your, your payout, but what about that cactus in the corner there? Like, you want to take that? <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we think that cactus was 5,000. You know what I'm saying? You, you want the cactus? You want the cactus? No? Okay. <laughs> and on top of that, the story that just came out today, which is wild. Ah, Elon is actually cruel. So Elon went to all his managers, his department managers, and, did, and said, yo, let's do some performance reviews. Please tell me who are your, the most valuable team members in your various teams. So these managers went and they compiled their reports. Elon then took those reports, fired the managers, and promoted the people that the managers recommended, but at a lower <laughs> salary. <laughs> I mean, it's it's cruel, but it's also kind of like okay. Is this your? I mean, billionaire? it's a little no, but it's it's evil genius. You know what I mean? But Dan, in in all these things, it's what's the word I'm looking for? He he's he's trying to plug a leak in the damn wall with a band aid. Yeah, and he's he's his arm got cut off, and he's putting on a plaster. Because on top of all of these things, you. You're now hemorrhaging staff. The site is becoming increasingly difficult to operate and crashing more regularly. You're losing users. 
you've now lost 40% of your advertisers, which is a big thing because that was where the majority of your revenue is coming from. Twitter Blue is, even if it has a 10% adoption rate, it's not going to save you. So what is the plan here? And it, it's starting to look like, I think my man's just trying to bankrupt the company so he doesn't have to pay his debtors because he owes Amazon. I just checked now, 90 million for, for Amazon web hosting fees. It's the, the comedy continues. That's the new sitcom, Twitter under Musk. <laughs> uh, uh, what else is happening? It just continues. It's uh, just, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, I think this one, we just have to discuss. It's a bit nerdy, but uh, a patron brought it up. And I tell them I would discuss it on the show. So uh, last week news came out that uh, Showmax um, had sold off 30% of its uh, shares to NBC Universal. And then that would lead to essentially Showmax now becoming the platform for Peacock um, in Africa. Um, I think we'll put a full link to the, the story in the article, but the the listener that shared it was like, this is a good thing, right? And I was like, actually, it's, it's a bad thing for a number of reasons. One is it's, it's, it's more in line of the issue of corporate consolidation that's going on globally. Um, if you are just a regular consumer in, in Africa, for example, NBC content in Africa, for the most part, you were getting it on either Disney Plus, if you had Disney Plus, but it's not in Zimbabwe, or you're getting it on Netflix. Uh, an, an example of this would be Seinfeld, for example. Seinfeld, I think, is still available on Netflix, um, Zimbabwe, South Africa. But Seinfeld is an NBC property. In America, for example, um, Seinfeld is no longer available outside of Peacock because they took their rights back. The same thing with The Office, the same thing with Friends and everything else. That is not a good thing. Oh, sorry. I was mixing up ABC and NBC. So there is no Disney Plus with NBC content. Sorry. That was a mistake of mine. But ultimately, the problem here is now it's bifurcated. So if you have a finite amount of resources available to you to pay for your subscriptions every month, let's say $20, and you spend that on Netflix and something else. If you had become accustomed to consuming NBC content on Netflix, you can't do that anymore because NBC content has now become bifurcated and it's now only going to be on Showmax. Um, mm. It's also concerning to see, I, I, I want to see how they handle it because Showmax has actually become a pretty good deal um, in Africa because you can get sports, you get all of HBO, you get Showtime, and you get a, a pretty wide selection of movies, particularly the movies that don't have exclusive rights tied up with Disney Plus Africa and Netflix. This is just going to separate it more. And it's the same problem that Peacock had because they came into the market. They took all their content off other streaming platforms like Hulu and Netflix, and they struggled to reach critical mass in America. So now they, they're like, okay, we failed in America or we are failing in America. Let's try and reach out to an African market. And essentially what they're doing is they're replicating the same system that's happening in America. If you've been following the issues with America with all the various streaming services and the prices, the reason why streaming services took off in the beginning was because it was a cheap alternative to existing cable TV options. But now, to enjoy all the shows you'd want to watch, in some instances, you're actually paying more for streaming services than you were originally paying for them on cable. 
And now people are not consolidating and going back to a cable-like model. So that's why I was saying it's not a great thing. Um, but it's, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, 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 um, there were other people that were celebrating the saying that this might mean that there'll be more investment in content um, and those that create it. I don't think so because the stock market is still punishing Netflix and other streamers for investing in content in these past few quarters. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. Anything from you, Dan? Uh, no, I have zero thoughts on this matter and I will close it there because I'm more excited right now to update you all on white people business. All right there, everybody. I hope you all are seated because I'm about to give you an update, not only on last week's white people business, but we got new white people business this week as well. So last week's white people business, you may recall that we discussed uh, Haley Bieber and Justin Bieber, uh, as well as their circle of friends and uh, all the nonsense that was going on around, right? So for example, just to catch you up, uh, last week we spoke about how there seemed to be this little mean girl catfight between Haley Bieber and Justin Bieber's ex-girlfriend before he got married to Haley, Selena Gomez. And then they had their friends that seemed to be taking sides, a lot of them on Haley Bieber's side. Well, some updates. Since then, many fans began to notice that Selena Gomez seemed to be showing support on TikTok towards people who are making shady comments towards, you know, Haley, Kylie Jenner, and that group of friends. For example, she quote, she quote, uh, or she commented, I love you over one of her, on her, one of her fan accounts when they posted a video calling um, Haley Bieber and, and uh, Kylie Jenner mean girls. And when people were calling out, like, why are you getting involved in the beef and the drama? She's like, I have the right to defend my friends. That's what she said. Well, uh, as I mentioned last week, she did delete her TikTok. And then, after some time, she brought it back. Um, and she posted up some makeup video or other in which she said, um, please be kinder and consider others' mental health. My heart has been heavy and I only want good for everyone. All my love, Selena. Well, it's no longer on social media because, Phil, you and I would have seen in the patron group a video where at a live Justin Bieber show, the crowd began chanting, F. Haley Bieber, F. Haley Bieber, F. Haley Bieber. Hmm. So clearly, people are fans of Selena and they are unhappy with Justin's current wife, which I'm not happy with. Anyway, that's the update. But listen, guys, they're married. What do you want them to do? They're married. Anyway, um, new white people business that I want to share with you this week. Now, you see, when I was a teenager, Phil, my, my secret shame, was Avril Lavigne. Mm -hmm. I listened to a lot of Avril Lavigne. I'm standing on the bridge. I'm rolling in the nook. I know that you'll be here by now. I'm standing in the nook. I'm rolling in the nook. Is there anyone trying to find me? Beautiful music. Well, everyone's teenage crush, Avril Lavigne, all the white people I mean. Uh, this week, seems to have come out dating none other than Tiger. I saw I saw that coming a mile what? away. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. That makes so much sense. All right. Here's where it gets confusing, Phil. All right. <clears throat> and uh thank you very much for the for the video that really broke it down. Was it you who posted it up? I don't yes, know who posted yes. it up. I I've been I've been digging deep into it. So here's the story. 
So uh, remember, this is this is in the Kardashian universe, uh, the KU, if you'd like to call it. So um, both Avril and Tiger have in the past dated people in the Kardashian family. So <clears throat> Avril once dated just, Brody Jenner. Just play the video. Is, play the video. The video, the video breaks it down. Hmm? The video breaks it down. Oh. So why did I draw this docu? This did you really draw? Okay. Uh, okay, here's the video. Tyga is now dating Avril Lavigne. Why is this a big deal? Let me show you. Tyga used to be with and has a baby with Black China. Black China. Black China used to be with and has a baby with Rob Kardashian. Rob Kardashian. Rob Kardashian is half siblings with Kylie Jenner. Kylie why Jenner. does that matter? Kylie Jenner used to date Tyga. Mm. Kylie Jenner also has another half sibling named Brody Jenner, who we all know from the hills of Laguna Beach, yada yada. Why is that a big deal? Brody Jenner and Avril Lavigne used to be in a very serious relationship, so serious that they actually went to Kim Kardashian's wedding together to Chris Humphreys, who we don't like to talk about. Let's go back to Tyga for a second. Tyga used to be married to someone named Jordan Craig. You may not know who that is, but fun fact, Jordan Craig used to be with and has the first baby of third semester Thompson, also known as Tristan Thompson, who we also don't like to talk about. Tristan, as we know, used to be with Chloe and has two babies. Chloe is siblings with Kim, with Brody, with Kylie, and with Rob, and with Kourtney Kardashian, who's married to Travis Barker. Travis Barker is a musician, as we all know, and one of his protégés is someone named Mod Sun. Mod Sun used to be engaged to Avril Lavigne a few weeks ago, and Avril Lavigne is signed to Travis Barker's record label. There you have it, folks. So, so Tiger, Tiger's the rebound. Hmm. That's wild. Very, very fascinating. Man, hey, look. White people business is interesting, eh? Mm-hmm. I think I might start getting more involved. I saw there's something about the Vanderpumps or something. Mm. I'll do some research on that, you know. Mm. Very fascinating. I, I heard they What's rule. wrong with people? I heard they rule. Hmm. Very nice. Very nice, Phil. Very nice. Excellent. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, let's wrap this one up with some music and then I, we I, get I, I, out I, I, of here. Are we, we going to talk about Jitungus or are we just going to leave that? Uh, let's leave it. <laughs> let's leave it. It's safer, Phil. It's safer to leave it. No, we just commented. So, just commenting on the story. Winky had the show. They shut down the show. Um, the, the thing that I found hilarious is it seems like they were trying to throw a bottle at the police and they missed and they hit Winky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> you know? Even people who uh, are in the system, shall we say, I heard them saying, but why are they doing that, man? Just leave him. I was like, Ish. anyway, uh, new music, yes. Okay, we've got some new music courtesy of our producer and we also have some other music here. Uh, let me start with the one coming through from our producer. Here's something new from a rapper by the name of K-Flow. So guys, uh, and this one, I, I, and I keep saying it in the group, you guys keep playing songs that aren't on DSPs. You know, Boa, and the K-Flow song is dope. I actually want to support it. But come on, guys, put your music. Put, I don't know why people want to release their, their music. <laughs> K-Flow, I'm fun. I'm Check it out. Fun, I'm Check it out. 
This is dope, babe. This is dope. Shout out to K-Flow, man. I, this is actually dope. I quite like it. Release your music properly, please. I've got a brand new song from St. Flo. It's featuring Slime Fox. It's called Zero Fear. This one is on DSPs. Yo, St. Flo is, is Check it out. an incredible tear, but he's just releasing every week. Yeah, he's, he's doing his thing. He's doing his thing. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Brand new. With the That's a lie. I'm playing something I was listening to earlier. My bad. This is Saint Flo. I was hiding behind the thing and no my kuru kwash Funny time I used to think you were my kuru kwash Then I tend to see the edges like a gomara I was here One in dango for pumpkin to sumira muri So to me just check I see I'm on a nyoruti Tara taka pura soja karin gatsi Matara haka kuru kura namo witsi Saga zero feet Tenge jiva bias and get zero feet Tenda wapi wane gororori Saint Flo has been releasing release after release and I love I don't know he's just got like a different I don't know how to explain it. it's like a different sound even though it's within a sound that we're already familiar with. So, yeah, that same flow with Zero Fear uh, and Slime Fox. Fun. Okay, quick reference I wanted to make. I was told, and I didn't notice it on the day, but apparently at the Nama Awards, that wasn't Saint Flow who did that performance. He had a stand-in because he, were, he came late from a show out of town. So he literally had some guy cover up his face and then come out and sing pretending to be him. Isn't that wild? My oh, man is already FF. Fam. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'm impressed or I'm upset. I don't. I can't tell. Anyway, apparently, I don't know if that's true. By the way, I need to verify. But so I was told by someone who seemed they were quite sure of it. Um, I've got another song here from ooh. 
Simba Tags hooking up with DJ Edu and Olakira. Once again, that's only on audio, Mac. Dan, we, Dan, we're not doing our listeners any favors because then they'll come asking for the players, won't be there. And with the deal, we are trying to think we can't be pushing songs that aren't available. Otherwise, we are giving them no value. You know what we're doing? We're doing pre-release plays. That's what we're doing. And surely, Olakira, DJ Edwin, Simba Tags will eventually be on all the other DSPs. And at least if it's on audio, Mac, it's a start, you know. Anyway, um, unless we end with this one. Um, there's also the Chicos and Nasper Taza that just dropped as well. That's on DSPs. Granted, the, the <laughs> metadata is wrong, but the video is dope. The song is dope. Yo, these, these Gweru guys are doing some things, bro. Okay, K- so let's end with that one. Yeah. And in the meantime, let me play a preview of this uh, DJ Edu Simba Tags and Olakira. It's called Loka. Gadi 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 Afro boss Simba tagzi yeah yeah Ah Ola kira ola kira Ah Say I don't want any problems Just wanna live my lifestyle Why you studying my life now Yeah No time for sorrow Time to fuss and fight now. Just wanna party right now, right now. Cha cha. Everything I want so busy. Don't care what I hate, I got sis. Money on my mind all day. Money on my mind all day. You ain't sitting at our table. Man, don't believe me, Joe. Yo, the song is flames. <laughs> ah, but uh, Simba Thames do uh, text no September. Oh. <laughs> just that, don't believe me, just watch. I mean, like, you really want to be. Anyway, um, yo, yeah. Hmm. yo, yeah. Any, anything else, Philip? Um, your, your colleague uh, dropped a song uh, with, with tags and Junior Brown as well. We played that last week for Layup. Oh, yeah, we did actually. My bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. We did actually. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I think we can we can sign out. Um, shout out to all our patrons. Shout out to all supporters. Shout out to all our listeners. We really love and appreciate y'all. Um, thanks for bearing with us as we deal with this. We're just doing, um, there's a lot of growing pains as we adjust with our, our new team. And I deal with my stuff. So, shout out to everyone who keeps sending the positive messages. I, I appreciate it, man. It actually means a lot. It would help if you said money. Like money, money would be great. Like money would really help. But you know, we push. Tubooktumbos.com forward slash donate is where to send the money. Um, and look, um, I, I would like, I would like um, to start a, a campaign to end other podcasts because it's 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 getting out of hand. Mm, we'll have to find out a way to do that. To use our voice, really, Phil, to protect. The, the vulnerable members of society from listening to such terrible work, uh, mm. content. We need to find a way to do that. 
Um, but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we would love for you to continue to support us. You can do so simply by uh, sending us some money, uh, joining the Patreon. It's only $5 a month and you get access to our WhatsApp group. In the WhatsApp group, we have some very vibrant discussions, some nerdy stuff. Uh, that way we go deep into the industry or sometimes just sharing funny things or whatever's going on on social media. In addition to that, you get first uh, preference whenever there's any Two Broke Timbos, anything. Uh, we'll be able to hopefully get some uh, merch to you at some point. Uh, and you also get access to some of our celebrity friends if we are able to reach them or if they answer our calls. So for just $5 a month, uh, head on over to twobroketimbos.com forward slash donate. Uh, you can also support us by liking, subscribing, uh, sharing the podcast. Um, so that other people can find it. Dropping a comment on whatever podcast app you use and a five-star rating, that also helps other people find it. And you can support the podcast by supporting uh, our partners and our uh, advertisers. For example, make sure you go and check out uh, Private Affairs, the podcast, uh, and uh, subscribe to that one. Listen to that one after this one. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So we're going to end with, uh, which song did you say, Phil? I've already forgotten. Taza! But Chico's and Nespa. Dopeness. So we will catch you in the next one. For now, we out. Aha! King and Anguru da Matin, Matkundi Mataza, why I like phony a charger? Please, 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 if I really get in a kiss like this, I insist to go talk about Taza. Talk about Taza. Bullets, but in my US, I'm from Beda Itaza. Hey, yeah. 2016, this is my machine. I got to go get it at Taza. Now I'm going to be the scene. Look at the scene. Have another Taza. King and a good man's case, I wonder if you're good at Life for good was no pain, no gain, no rain. Mugu ni my name, Guraya Gaz. Life for good okay, no play, don't save. I wonder if I'm going to start. I don't really gotta make sense, but I need my Dora. Snake and a grass, my water. Chingu is a fast. Chingu is a no nukam dara. I wanna go to the Mahara. I couldn't have dara. Guru and a push I dora. The Jadum Pindambora. Festa Kiris, Barandaganaga Mugate. And in a good rabbit. Marilu Pigira J. Marilu Pigira J. King and Angu da Matin, Matkwendi Mataza. Why are like phony a charger? Please, please, please. Send it If I really get an IT like this, I insist to talk about Taza. Only that police, one of my twins, I pump beta itaza. King and I'm gonna maintain my funny matas. Why I like funny a judge? Please, 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 send it to Taga. We see that Maria Kupadara Madwa. If I really get an IT like this, I insist to talk about Taza. Only that police, one of my twins, I pump beta itaza. Hey, hey, no forgiveness, Jaja, but I got a good idea. Six feet daza. Anyway, last one pins it a call. Mugida Seiko, bro. Right now, a Panama 10, my 20, no 50. I would do a set, no 50. If I really get it on system, the baby could have gone to picnic. I would have jammed like fish, fish, funeral bullies. Then, then it is pombillies. Jirigava Gareva Sia, Kutinda Ganoga, Kutoga, Zogudarova Sia, Sazarango, Daditia. King and Angu da Matin, Matkwendi Mataza, why I like phony a charger? Please, please, Buzani Chaga, Musina Maria Kupadara Mazwa. If I really get an IKs like this, I insist to go Chaga Mataza. Ponera Kulis, Vanema Kuis, Aripam Beda Itaza. King and Angu da Matin, Matkwendi Mataza, why I like phony a charger? Please, please, Buzani Chaga, Musina Maria Kupadara Mazwa. If I really get an IKs like this, I insist to go Chaga Mataza. Ponera Kulis, Vanema Kuis, Aripam Beda Itaza.